This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, everybody, welcome to tonight's Shear with Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Tonight is Shear 106. Yes, we are here at Shear 106. And we're proven Epstein here with us. And uh, again, like I started for a week, I want to thank everybody for posting it. I, I think this week I saw it like all over the world on every status possible. So definitely the statuses are growing. It's a tremendous thing. I appreciate everybody posting on the WhatsApp statuses. People tell people about it. And I tell every week if anybody, uh, you know, this is all, I call it Sichas uh, Chaverim. It's a self-growing program. We're all trying to grow together. So I appreciate that. And if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp, just WhatsApp me personally at 848-525-0066. 848-525-0066. Save my number and I will email you every Sunday the flyer. And if you want to go to menachembernfeld.com, Coach Menachem's website, you could sign up to his email list and he'll send you every week the emails of all who's coming on. And uh, come, join join the Hever, there's room. Right, Menachem? There's room? Yep. We're still taking new members? <laughs> all those who are watching the replay here on YouTube, please click on the like button for Coach Menachem on the share. Subscribe so Menachem uploads the share. You get a ding and you see every week the share that comes on. I want to start off first with thanking all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood. Special thank you to Robbie and Anit from Chazak for promoting us on the Chazak channels. Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN. The Coach Menachem show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. If OK Clarity is an online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community, OK Clarity, find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Menachem will email the links after the year. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern Time, we have different shirim, different speeches on various topics, different rabbis, different therapists, different everything. And uh, tonight we have a special one. So it's a little bit of everything. So thanks for joining. Next week, you ready for next week? <laughs> next week, next week, June 26th, we have an amazing event with Rabbi Chase Taub. And the topic is going to be an amazing topic. Rabbi Epstein, you ready for the topic? I'm ready. Dating a marriage. For a cure for toxic parenting. Understanding the difference between kibudah aim and parental entitlement. Stop the cycle. Woo. I hope you're going to join us next week. I'm there. Should be a powerful and deep and meaningful program. I think everybody is relevant for parents, for children. I think everybody should come. I think this, this topic people, you know, deal with. Um, <laughs> fine line. So I think it's going to be something that's going to be amazing. Tonight, there was, we have the schuss and the honor of having Ruben Epstein, world-famous dating and marriage expert to come and be mechazik. I feel like tonight's going to be a little bit of a big bombshell because usually we do Europe, we do dating, one thing, marriage. So we're going to try to, I'm going to try, I'm going to try my best to navigate it to try to make it fulfilling for everybody. So hopefully we can break it up. Tonight's shear is shear 106. And Rabbi Ruvain wanted to know the gematria, so I told him the gematria. The gematria is this week's parsha, parsha shalach, which stands for the Rosh Hashanah or shaduchim, l'chaim, chasanim. So hopefully after this year we're going to have a lot of shaduchim, a lot of l'chaims, and a lot of chasanim. Amen. So that's really, that's, that's the, this week's partial gematria. So we're going to start off first with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. He's going to open it up, tell us what we're talking about here tonight, what we're trying to bring out, and what's the goal. And Rabbi Menachem, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. So I want to welcome everyone back to Shir number 106, Bar Hashem, with a lot of Siyata Deshmaya. Here we are. And um, I want to thank all of you who send the feedback, as usual whether it's positive, negative, they're all welcome. So we can see where we're going, understanding the feedback from our crowd. Uh, we've had many, many programs on Shaduchim 
and, and a marriage and many different um, way of ways of thinking. We've had extremes like don't think about yourself at all. It's all the other. And then we've had some psychology behind marriage and how it works. And it's all beautiful. But I think tonight we're going to be sitting into the coach's room, marriage coach, to understand the, really the practicality. Um, when you're talking about Shaduchim, there are always, you know, different personalities. Some are excited and looking forward and they can't wait and they love it. And um, sometimes they get that no, so they figure out how to navigate and continue. And then there are others who it's just too nerve-wracking. It's, it's too hard. You know, you open up a little bit. The relationships, you know, you're, you're, you're playing around and then you feel like you're getting a no. You, it might work, it might not work. You can't sleep at night. Some people have a very hard time. Some think more, some are deep thinkers. And some are just, you know, let's see how it goes. And the, the best part of it is you get together with someone else. So let's talk about them. They also have personality. They also, they have their ups and downs, their ways of thinking. And here you are sitting together, trying to figure things out. Um, it, it could be hard. And uh, that's what they say in every self-development, any growth to get out of your comfort zone. That's where the growth is. To stay home and do the regular thing every day. You're used to it. Well, obviously it works. You know, you've done it for many years and now you're on to the next stage. There is the fear of the unknown, and it is out of your comfort zone. You're not used to it, and uh, you get to learn new things, so it's not easy, but it's work, and this is part of our journey, part of the journey, and then people think, you know, Baruch Hashem, the Shizek worked out, it went well. I'm not here to scare anyone, but that's, not, that's only where it begins, you know, how, 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 what's the percent that you can say, I know my chasen, I know my kala, I know them. I know it's, you know, most of you, most of them walk around saying, I, I really understand them. I met them many times, I know them, but there's always things you'll find out afterwards in Metzushan, because that's part of life. And you always have to remember that those things that made you say yes, because of the challenge that comes up many times. So it's only the beginning of the journey. And then you go on, you, you, you learn a lot about your spouse and a lot about yourself. And that's part of the reason, one of the reasons why we get married. That's the, one of the reasons we get to see ourselves. And that's something that most people are scared of. Especially today's days where we live in, in a, a fast-paced world. And the only way we can succeed and, and, and continue is if we're busy and uh, not thinking so much. And here we are, we have to stop. And, and you know, when you hit a wall, you're trying to figure things out. You have to see, what do I want? What, what do they want? How can we compromise? How can we work it out? We don't get along. We do get along. So it's, it's a journey. And this is on the beginning. So let's sit into the coach's room, ask him the questions that come up. And I wonder if you're going to be able to throw him a question that he's never gotten before. So that's the, you know, it, let's, let's, let's give something away. If somebody asks a question that, Reuven, if there's a yeah. question that comes in that, that you have never heard of, I think they should win something. So we should have a lot of siyata de shemayim tonight. And whatever it is, Hashem should send us all, the, you know, the das that we need to understand 
to understand ourselves, to understand when we go out, what we're looking for, and then married for 10, 20, 30 years, how to work things out. So it should be with a lot of atzlocha. Thank you for the beautiful opening. So again, for everybody who's just joining now, there's a lot more people coming in. Tonight's year, we're with Ruben Epstein. We're talking about dating and marriage, an open and candid conversation about dating and marriage. So uh, let's get into it. Tonight before, I got a call today from Rabbi Schaefer, Rabbi Sion Schaefer from the Shmuz. So we're going to make up tonight a little bit more exciting. So first of all, Rabbi Schaefer wanted me to talk about, um, Rabbi Schaefer is the author of, t- of, the, of the book, 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. And he's going to be making a presenting. We actually had to share over here about the you know, synopsis about the book. And he's going to be presenting a three-part marriage seminar. Over the past 15 years, he's dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. And he found th- that many times there was nothing substantially wrong with either he or she, yet the marriage was on the rocks. Often he took minor shifts in understanding, small tweaks to make a huge difference in many marriages. If you want to improve your marriage or you want to take a good marriage to make it great, or bad marriage or make it good, Please join the seminar. It's going to be a three-part. You can join in person or watch the seminar live. It's broadcasted by TorahAnytime.com. It start Wednesday, June 29th at 8.30 p.m. And we'll continue Wednesday, June, July 6th. And then Wednesday, July 13th, all at 8.30. So starting June 29th, the first part of his uh, three-part series. And uh, there's no charge for the seminar. And he guarantees it will improve your quality of marriage. If you have any more, more information, go to the schmooze.com, which is C-S-H-M-U-Z.com, S-H-M-U-Z.com. And Rabbi Ruvain, as you know, Rabbi Ruvain is very close friends with him. He is, wants to give away tonight. He wrote the new book, 10, The 10 Dumb Mistakes That Really Smart Couples Make. And he's going to give out to every person that asks a live question tonight. It's a free book mailed to him. So um, Rabbi Ruvain, get ready for a lot of live questions. They have to be good questions. Stupid, you're not getting a book. I'm letting you know. They got to be good questions. So gotta be, also, he showed me something interesting. He made a, he turned his book into like a video book. He has another book that's like, you can watch it like on a video. It's very cool. He made like an animation out of it. So that, that's going to be cool when it comes out. So that's that. So uh, we're going to get into it. I'm going to read your bio, Ruben, and then you'll open it up. And just remember, there's a lot of questions that came in. A lot of people send in questions. And um, allow, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to ask a lot of questions. Mm. Let's jump into it. So keep the opening short. Okay? You got it. Rabbi Ruben Epstein, CPA, is a highly regarded dating and marriage expert. He heads the Marriage Project, an online and in-person resource for couples looking to maximize a relationship. His involvement in the community extends to chassan classes, marriage-related shilas, rabbinic counseling, guidance, and speaking engagements. For more information and resources and seminars, please visit marriagepro.co, not com, .co, marriagepro.co. Rabbi Ruben, the floor is yours. Thank you so, so much. And I do have to say, I'm sitting here just watching the participants number here going through the roof. It's almost like a stock ticker under the Trump administration. Just like, you know, just going straight through the roof here. It's unbelievable what, you know, Usher and Menachem, what you guys have uh, not just created, but run with for the last couple of years. And it's just to be here. I'm literally just watching the participant number just keep on rising. It's like unbelievable the 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 shame type that you have. So thank you very, very much for having me. So I understand we have like a million questions and Menachem was saying before, if we hear a question that we didn't hear before, what the prize is. So from, from what I understand, the Coach Menachem show is giving away a Tesla actually. Is that, oh, I'm sorry. That's not accurate. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll get to as many the questions. Model 3, not the X, just the Model 3. <laughs> as many as we're able to get to over here. Mitzvah Shem. Um, again, like you said, with a lot of Siyat Deshmaya. So just, 
I'm going to use this sort of like in, in just maybe five minutes here, just to uh, sort of round out the context of why, you know, I, how I got into, you know, doing what I do and sort of maybe just setting the table for um, what I believe many people misunderstand, you know, marriage to be. There's a medrash that my Rebbe Rebislav Berkowitz, he, he likes to quote that after Hashem created the world and he saw that everything was taiv, Everything is kitav, everything is wonderful. And then he goes ahead and he creates Adam. And the, the Medrash says that the Malachim looked down at this creature that was created. And there's words that I found once in Levil Yo. He says, Adam If anybody's listening to this and they're a composer, please make a song out of those words. The most powerful words you ever heard in your life, right? Adam was the purpose of everything in creation. And the Malachim looked down and they saw that Adam was Adam. He was, he was Echad. He was the only person that was here on this planet. And they look up in Shemayim and they see that Hashem is Echad. He's the only one up in Shemayim. And the Malachim wanted to sing Shira to Adam. They were like, wow, this, this creature is unbelievable, right? He's created B'Tselem Elikim. This is just the most perfect being to ever exist. And right then the Pasuk says, this is not good. And our booklets always says over that a man, man, people, in our own worlds, we could mamish be perfect. And a lot of people, when they get married, they say to themselves, I'm perfect. I, I'm, a good, I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. I have my midos. I'm, I'm great. I'm wonderful. And then they get married. They step into this role called marriage. And all of a sudden, they're wondering, why am I always upset? Why is my nerves always frazzled? Why am I always getting into fights with people? I never, I hear this from people daily. I never got into a fight with a person in my life. All of a sudden I married this one and it just, just never stops. I never got migraines in my life. I got married and the migraines came on. Like I never, I had here and then I got married and the here is gone. All of a sudden it's like marriage is like the beginning of the end. You know, it's like, I don't know what happened. I was perfect before and now I got married and the wheels came off. And Chazal are telling us that no. If that's the case, then you're doing something wrong in this journey that you're going on because the Malachim were like, yeah, you're perfect. And Hashem said, no, you're not perfect. That's That's not good. The, the concept of marriage, you know, I've sat on many panels and this was like the first question that's usually thrown out there is, what is marriage? What is marriage? How do you define marriage? And Rabbi Wallerstein, you know, used to say that marriage is a sacrifice. And somebody feels that they're ready to sacrifice for somebody else. And people will say love. And everyone has their word that they like to find marriage. But the entirety of, I would call my mahalach in marriage, which comes from my rebbeim, is that marriage is about kesher. It's about davak. It's about connecting to somebody else. It's about somebody nullifying the anoichi. It's not about you. It's about a new unit that gets created that's comprised of two halves of a whole. And the opposite of a good marriage is a coexisting marriage, which is why people oftentimes don't realize why their spouses are so angry and so upset at them because they go, I'm working so hard in a global sense for the relationship, but there's not a new unit of two people meshing into one forming. That's not happening. So hopefully tonight we could shed a lot of light on that one concept, on that one idea, which is that marriage is kesher. And ultimately, if you break down why most marriages suffer, it's not because people are throwing pots and pans at each other, but it's because you have two people who are living side by side in the same house, coexisting with each other. The concept of dating is the proverbial yellow brick road. 
It's where people go out with enough times, whether it's a bishow and it's one time or whether it's 50 times or whatever, however you want to do it. And we'll talk about how many times that should happen. But making sure that the elements are there to be able to go on a lifelong journey with another person. I've often said to people who are dating that the muscle that I give for, for somebody who's going on a date is very simple, is that you're going for a walk. I grew up in Brooklyn. So like from Avenue M to Avenue N, right? So what does that mean? It means the two of you are walking side by side, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot on this lifelong journey. Every decision, every action, every emotion, your children, how you raise them, your hashkafa, everything becomes two people going side by side on a hundred year walk. The minute one person starts walking ahead or starts lagging behind, there's a disconnect between the couples. That muscle has to be a reality by the time a couple, in my opinion, is ready to walk down the aisle. Not that they're there, but that they see that the elements are there. So from the dating side and from the marriage side, if you don't know what you're dating for, if you don't know what the marriage is supposed to look like, so then it's very difficult to get there. So with that hakdama, I hope we can sort of like lay out on both sides of things, the dating for marriage and then the marriage itself, actually how it's supposed to you know, sort of play itself out. Okay, beautiful opening. Let's get into it tonight again. Um, we have Ruben Epstein, who's the marriagepro.co. So let's see what that's all about. Let's really test them. And we'll start off with the poll, take a break, and let's see what the Ilma answers the poll. We're going to ask the poll. We're going to share it after everybody's, after everybody's done. And again, when somebody asks a question, a lot of people are texting. They're a little comfortable. I say this about every marriage uh, share. We know when you're asking the question, it's not for you. It's for your, you know, for your neighbor, for your friend, for your sister, for your brother. So it's fun. You don't have to be embarrassed. We know. It's totally fun. We're all in the same boat together. So let's, let's jump into it now. Okay, here we go. Three questions. Everybody answer. It's anonymous. First question is, how many dates do you think it takes to confirm this person is the right one? How many dates? If you have to guess, one to three, four to seven. 8 to 11 or 12 plus? How many dates do you think it takes to confirm this is the right person for you? It's a general question. Nothing meant by it. Just want to see concepts. Number two, which element for you is the most important when looking for a spouse? Four choices. Midos, compatibility. They should have a very established family. Very established family. Everybody can understand what that means, right? Choshev, nice. You know, comes with a few bucks. And number four, mentally stable and growing person. Number three, which factor, in your opinion, causes the most marriages to suffer today? A, financial struggles. B, outside world influences. Basically, internet, movies, the way the world views certain things, that's what's making marriages destroyed. C, distractions, not being present. You know, always busy with stuff, running, coming. Or four, mental health personality issues. Which one? Um, no, so the second and third are not the same thing. The second is outside world because it means the way how things are viewed in the world, right, Rabbi Ruben? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And the third one is like just technical distractions. You're always busy you're on your cell phone, you're coming and going. One is the way, the second one is like the way the world, movies, what marriages, love is, all the concepts are coming from the outside world and it's hurting a lot of marriages today. That's just the concept. So we're trying to explain it. People get confused between two and three. So answer these three questions. I'll give you five seconds. And after the answer, we'll share the results with everybody. And then Rebruvain will uh, comment on any comments he has, and we'll jump into questions again. Tonight, anybody who has a live question, after a live question, we'll text you an email. You'll email me your information, and Rabbi Schaefer will send you a free copy of his new book. So jump into the live questions tonight, if you can get on to the line. 
And uh, we have a lot of questions that came in. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight. Ruben, do you have any deadline when to end? Do you have any, or what, what, what's your deadline tonight? Let's go two, three o'clock in the morning. Let's do three, it. Okay, so that's early. Usually we finish around 4.30, but okay. <laughs> I'll try to end early for you. I don't understand you're in a rush. Okay, we're going to end it, and then we're going to share it. Here we go. Share the results. The first question, how many days do you think it takes to confirm this person is the right one? 9% of people said one to three. 36 and 38% of the people, basically half four to seven, half eight to 11. So the most of the majority think either four to seven or eight to 11 and 17%, 12 plus. So Ruben, what do you have any comments on that? Wow. So I'll just make one comment and it's not something that I hide. It's something that I do speak about often is that I, I personally got engaged on my third date. Okay. Many people don't, I mean, I guess many people now do know that about me, but it wasn't, I'm not Hasidish. I didn't have a Bashow. I didn't know my wife before. Nothing went straight through the yeshiva system, but a big factor in this question is, I think, the preparation that goes into it. Um, you know, the idea of people knowing what you're doing on a date, as opposed to just like sort of seeing if it works or falling in love or just winging it and then just like waking up and figuring that out. Like the four to seven, the eight to 11, I think is, 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 is pretty spot on. It makes a lot of sense. You know, somewhere between like four and 11, obviously, probably, you know, for the average couple, if you're, if you're planning, if you're knowing how to do it, which hopefully we'll touch on a lot of that concept tonight, um, you know, a person shouldn't be dragging it for, for much longer, in my opinion. And the 12, the 12 plus, yeah, a lot of times people are just dating and dating and dating, and they're just spinning the wheels for, for, for nothing. But yeah, okay, good. This is, this is not a surprise to me, but I'm happy that, that we're all seeing the world in the, same, in the same vein. Good. Okay, next question. Which element do you find the most important when looking for a spouse? So most people, we're going to say the number one answer is, there's two of them, is Midos and mental stability and growing person. Only 90% said compatibility. Yeah. 0% said a very established family. Zero. I I have to say I'm I'm, I'm very surprised. I'm very surprised. I'll tell you why. Because, you know, what is marriage? Marriage is, is, you know, people have great Midos and it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But we're the concept of a, a meshing with somebody else, you know, you look around your, your, your friends, look around like your social environment, like the people who you hang out with. I'm sure you you find a lot of them that like, yeah, they have good meetos. They're great. But like you, when you get to know somebody really well, you know, my wife, you know, sometimes says like, you could see certain couples that like, they're just, they're just, they're just niched. You know, it's like, there's, there's like, it's a puzzle piece. It's two people who are, who are uniquely meshed with one another. And a lot of the questions that I get during the dating stage where people say, well, I'm going out with a guy and he blank, 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 you know, whatever the story may be. The answer is it depends on you, right? A lot of things depend on you. How comfortable are you with accepting a person who has a history? How comfortable are you, you know, accepting somebody from a certain type of family? How comfortable? The answer really to most of these questions really is totally in you. It's dependent on you. So compatibility, I think, is very underrated. And I think that that's something that people do have to focus on. You know, what does it mean compatibility? You know, on, on Torah Anytime, a lot of, a lot of well, all my shirim are really on Torah Anytime, and I have to throw that out there now, but we're doing a whole series now specifically on Midos. It's called Journey of Midos, because a lot of girls were asking, you know, it seems like everybody has good Midos until they don't. You know, like, what does it mean to have good Midos? It means somebody's nice, and they're sweet, and you get along with people, then they get married, and they're crazy. What happened here, right? What happened to all their wonderful Midos? So the answer is, is that there was usually a lack of compatibility, right? There was a lack of kasher. He wasn't in tune to her, for, for example. She went crazy, started screaming at him. He's screaming at her, and, and, and the wheels come off. What happened there? The answer is, is that there was a lack in kasher. 
not necessarily in the Midos. The Midos get tested. So to me, this is, I'm, I'm a little surprised, honestly. But I, I, I mean, obviously all these elements are really important, but I think we have to bump up the compatibility side of things and, and, and internalize it. That's a really, really important component within relationships. I am happy that nobody thought that having an established family, I'm happy to see that. And the mentally stable and growing thing, absolutely, that's, that's, that's big. That's very important. Okay, great. Right. The famous joke somebody said to me once, if you have three choices of marrying a girl, and it's either to pick two of the three, mentally stable, pretty, or wealthy, you could choose two of the three, which two would you choose? And the right answer is a double dose of mentally healthy. <laughs> okay. Which factor, in your opinion, causes most marriages to suffer today? So the four choices we gave out were financial struggles. Only 9% of people say money. 18% of people say outside the world influences internet movies and stuff like that. And the number one answers, again, are 35% of people distractions not being present and mental health and personality issues. Right. So I'm going to throw this out there. I, I, you know, I, I'm not a licensed mental health professional. I know that you have on, on the show, a lot of times you do have people and they talk about you know, diagnosing different people. But the amount of diagnoses that have happened in my office are, are through the roof, right? Every day I hear people saying, oh, this person has bi, you know, bipolar and BPD. Like people have it all figured out. They walk in with like printouts from you know, WebMD. They know exactly what's going on with their spouse <laughs> and they figured out like what's wrong with them. They just need me to write the prescription and everything in their relationship is going to fix itself. But I find that most often it's not the personality disorders that are going on. It's that people become different people when they're, when they're stressed and when they're put to like a certain test. Um, obviously, mental health and personality disorders have to be dealt with in a professional way. But the, to me, the third one, which is distractions and not being present overwhelmingly in healthy couples, that's the one that, you know, if you break down most healthy relationships as to what went wrong, it's usually going to have some element of that going on over there. But I think that this is also a very interesting one. Okay, so let's jump into it now. Again, anybody wants to ask a question, text Usher Parnas over here. We're going to put a line. And uh, we're going to start off some basic questions. We, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of questions that came in for dating and a lot of da- questions for marriage. I'm going to try to, Reverend Epstein, I, try, I put sort of the dating first. So I'm going to try to ask those questions first. Again, if anyone right. marriage questions, text. We'll try to keep it somewhat in order. If it goes out of order, it's fine. Nothing's going to happen. But we're going to try to, you know, work, work in some type of mahalach over here. Okay. The, obviously, one of the best questions. How do I know when I'm ready to start Shaduchim? I'm 19. I'm not ready for Shaduchim. But some of my mowers and friends are pressuring me to start. Am, am I doing the wrong by waiting? What's like the right time? How do, let's use it for a boy and for a girl. Like, how do you know that now is the time? Our girls come back from seminary and they're like, okay, I want to date. And some girls are like, no, I want to get a degree. Like, how do you know when is the right day? Right. So, so there's definitely pressure in the world today, especially for girls. Um, there's this like boogeyman, the shidduch boogeyman, that like you have to be engaged nine minutes after your flight lands from seminary or else there's something wrong with you. Um, and, and we have to put that aside because that's obviously bogus. I think the, the question on a personal question, meaning a person who's sitting there saying to themselves, how do I know when I'm ready to step into the world of Shadokim? I think that there's sort of like three things that a person should try to focus on. Number one is a person has to walk into marriage ready to give to somebody else. That means they have to be a person. They have to be, I call it, my Yiddish is not so hot, but I'm just going to say like they have to have a certain zikh. You have to be a player. You have to know who you are. You have to be ready to give to another person, not become like a burden or emotionally needy, you know, component. You're not running away from something. You know, you're running towards something that you have a vision that you want to establish a home that looks like this. And you're ready to go ahead and make that happen. So you're ready to give, not that you're going into this because you're, you're a needy person that's looking to take out of this relationship. So that I would say is number one. Number two is oftentimes people come in 
And I think that the natural, um, the nature of a person at a certain age is that they do want to get married. They want to establish a family. I think that's generally like the natural state. Oftentimes people come to me or, you know, others and they say, you know, the reason why I'm thinking of holding off Shadokim is because I had a trauma in my life or I went through something or I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or I wasn't Shema Shabbos and I had my ups and my downs and I was on medication, whatever the case may be. So I always tell people that you must make sure that your history is history. Your history has to be behind you. If your history is not behind you and it's currently playing a factor, it's going to be something that's going to affect your relationship. So number two is your history has to be history. You have to be healthy in the sense that the things that you've been struggling with are behind you. And number three, and I think that this is probably the hardest thing that almost everybody who enters Shaduchim, you know, can, can use, is the idea of dating yourself. Dating yourself means you don't have to go to a lounge if you don't want to. You don't have to spend any money on yourself if you don't want to. But you have to take the time to ask yourself questions that you would anticipate somebody else asking you. And more than that, questions that will be able to reveal from the person that you're going out with things that you want to find out about that person. So oftentimes people go on dates and they go out, they go to Dave and Buster's, they have a good time. The only thing that she remembers is that she beat him in, uh, in, in a knock hockey or in, you know, basketball game. My wife still thinks that she won. She didn't, but it's the only thing, you know, like it, it's like the only thing that they take out of the day is ah, I beat you and we had so much fun and it was great. And I got to But if you're trying to like figure out, is this the person I want to spend the next hundred years of my life with? So you have to come into that date knowing what questions are important to you. What is important to you? Like a lot of times people come and they say, um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who I am. I'm not sure what is important to me. You know, are you the type of person that wants a, a home where, where there's no internet? Are you the kind of person that's okay with having, you know, filtered phones, not filtered phones? That's like one segment of, of, of a segment within a segment, within the hashkafa, let's call it. Who are you? What, are you just repeating things that you heard from your teachers, from your rebbeim? Or have you thought this through? How important is, you, is it for you that your husband davens, that he davens with a minion, you know, that he gets up at six o'clock in the morning, that he has a seder? How important are these things to you? When I was dating my wife, I remember I asked one of my rebbeim, um, I asked one of my rebbeim, I said, tell me a question that I, should ask, that I should ask on this date. And he told me, he said, you should ask the person you're dating, do you want to move to Eretz after you get married? I was like, okay, that's an, it's a simple question. Yes or no, you either do or you don't. So I said, what's so, what's so great about that question? So he said to me, because the person that's, that's going to marry you, like, like, you know, Eliezer and Rivka, like, you know, the person that's going to marry you is going to be the person that gives the answer. And she says as follows. I want somebody who's going to start off their marriage in learning in a place where they're growing and we're starting a certain type of home. If that place is in Eretz Yisrael for you as the guy who's going to be learning, then we should move to Eretz Yisrael. If that place is in California, then we should move to California. Now, I dated a couple of girls, asked that question, and the answer is either yes or no. I do or don't. When I asked my wife on our, one of our dates, you know, what do you think about moving to Israel? She said, well, let me tell you, you know, I really want to start marriage with a certain type of home. And if you're the guy, so then, you know, great. And if the place for us to do that is in Eretz Israel, then we should move to Eretz Israel. And if the place is not, then not. She, she, she was thought through in the same thought through, throughness. I don't know if that's the word. Like we, we were on the same place like we were both we were both there in that same situation so i think that number three is that a person has to date themselves before they date somebody else because or else you're going to be missing obvious signs that are exit ramps you're going to be missing red flags you're going to be missing yellow flags you're going to be missing all the things because the person is going to be telling you stuff 
about their family, about their brothers, about their fathers, about their mechitanim, about their sister-in-laws, and you're going to miss all of it because you never thought through how close of a relationship do I want to have to my in-laws? How much of a functional family do I want to have? What's considered functional? What's considered history? What type of history am I comfortable with? If you haven't thought these things through, and I'm not saying a person has to sit there, go on 12 dates with themselves, but if you don't think it through for an hour or two and have a supportive family, an older sister, a brother, somebody who's able to guide you through this, oftentimes the shidduch process will play itself out for much longer than it needs to be. I do have to say one thing from the get-go. I do have to say everything we're talking about here is on the hishtadla side of the coin. Of course, everything is from Hashem and a person has seven muna and bitachin and davin and davin and davin and you could go to Meron and Amuka and Tzfas and Tveria and we should and we do. This is not to take away from that side of things. But from a person doing their hishtadlis in a date where they show up and they put their best foot forward, that dating themselves has to be it. So you're ready to give to somebody else. Your history is history. And you've dated yourself and you have a supportive team ready to move forward. Wait, wait, just a heavy question. How does one know if their history is a history? That's a great question. So it depends on what their history is. Um, you know, I always, I always like to say as follows. If somebody's constantly struggling with something, then their history is not history, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, for this type of addiction, it's two weeks. For this type of addiction, it's five years. A person has to know if they are struggling with something that that struggle is not there. If they're going to become a burden on the relationship because every day they wake up and they say, you know, today is the 47th day since I did this and this and this, and they're still struggling and they're not sure the next time they're going to fall, that's somebody whose history is not history. I've had people who, Lamasha, let's say, you know, didn't keep Shabbos. And I tell them, you know, in order to, st- what type of home do you want? I want a home where they're going to keep Shabbos. Okay, good. So then you need to get off your phone on Shabbos and you need to start keeping Shabbos in order, in order to have a home. So I've had people say to me, well, I, you know, it's been three days since I broke Shabbos. I'm like, yeah, because it's Wednesday, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you were great. That doesn't mean that your history is history, right? If you can't get through a Shabbos without picking up your phone, and you're going to walk into a relationship where every time you're picking up your phone, when you get bored for five minutes, that is a problem. You have to get yourself to the point where it's not a struggle, where it's not a habamina. If people have therapists, I often say to them, ask your therapist, Does your, is your therapist ready to sign off on you that you're ready to walk down the aisle? You know, like ask yourself honestly, am I going to be a burden? Is this going to play a factor in my relationship? Now, I also have to say that not everything within the context of history is, is, is catastrophic and it's going to absolutely destroy something. You know, if somebody's on, for example, you know, certain types of medication and they have certain like mild depression or anxiety, these kinds of things, that doesn't mean that they're not fit to get married. So that's fine. But I'm talking about something where the history is something that you'd be very, very nervous to bring into the relationship, that it's going to bring it down. That, that kind of thing has to be thought through, made sure that that history is history before. Ruben, we have a lot of live questions. Let's jump on it. Um, okay, you're on first. Hi, Rabbi Epstein. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, as a bacher that's still in the parsha, um, I wanted to say that one or two of my biggest challenges when I go out is, one is I have a hard time becoming vulnerable, whether, you know, saying things I feel is important for the other person to know, you know, something maybe I had in the past that was small or big, and uh, I feel just as a form of honesty, whenever I want to just come to it, my, my throat just chokes and doesn't let me say the word. Eventually, I work it out, but it's something I still struggle with. 
And the other part is um, very interesting, even though I've gone out and I'm a good talker and I know how to talk and I know how to connect, the transitioning from the point of talking about not serious stuff and fluff and you know fun to getting to more serious, I don't know, my mind gets a little bit fear and nervousness. What if the other person won't agree with me? What if I ask a question that's you know, too personal? As a person myself, I'm very gentle. I don't like to ask people personal questions. I, I myself, I'm more of a reserved personality, so it may be part of all this. Besides for going to therapy, what is the what could a person work on themselves and how does a person view themselves with this type of challenge in the shudder? Great question. Okay. So I, I have to just say that your question and the fact that you're asking your question, Mamish is amazing because you're you're a person who's saying that you have a hard time asking a question and being vulnerable. And here you are in front of 545 people asking a question and being vulnerable, right? So how how amazing is that? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to, I just think that that's just, it's just awesome. So I'm going to share with you um, two things. Okay. Number one is most of the things that you describe. Well, there's, there's, there's two questions. There's two things that I would lay out there. Okay. I'm going to lay out the, the, um, the chitzanius and then the panemius. So the, the chitzanius is, is that on a date, a person oftentimes goes out on a date ready to ask questions to find out about the other person. And obviously that's, that's an important factor. You have to go out to find out about the other person. But we forget that we're also selling ourselves. You know what I mean? If you go on a date and a girl says to you, tell me about yourself. And you go, yeah, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I'm good. You know, like you don't give her any information. So she's going to come back and be like, I, I don't know this guy. I don't, I don't know him. I, I'm, I don't know who I dated. I dated a guy who's good. That doesn't tell me anything. So not in a salesy way and not in a cheesy way, but I oftentimes tell people that your goal when you're dating is two parts. One is you want to sell. You want to sell yourself, meaning you, when a girl says to you, tell me about your day, you say, yeah, today was great. I got up in the morning. I have my chavrusa. I went to work. You know, we, we, we networked with the team. We had a problem. We worked together. You know, some people getting worked up and I took them on the side and I spoke them through it. And then, you know, whatever, you, you walk them through your day. Why? Because you're selling yourself. You're telling the person, I'm, I'm a driven person. I'm a person who's a team player. I'm somebody who's able to calm people down. They come to me for eitzes. I have a chavrusa in the morning. I have a rav, I have a rebbe, I daven chakras with a minion. You just told the person 25 things about yourself that you didn't even realize they need to know in order for them to marry you. So that's number one, which is super important. You're selling yourself. Number two, is the other side, which is where you're prodding and you're getting information from the other person, right? Where you're asking them things and then they go ahead and, 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 and share information, which you then in the back of your mind say, oh, I like that about this person. Wow, she also is this, this, and this. And that, that. so you're trying to sell and you're trying to prod. The side that you're asking is the internal side. The side where, well, what if she rejects me? What if I say something and she doesn't like what I say? What if I come across as being too this or too that? And the answer to that is one word confidence. It's a a person who is confident, not in a, in a gaivadika way, but in a a basic, you know, I always say, David HaMelech says, ura kevaydi ura. David HaMelech refers to himself, his neshama as covered, right? My neshama, ura kevaydi ura, let my covered awaken. David HaMelech knew who he was. Moshe Rabbeinu knew who he was. Ramesha Feinstein knew who he was. You need to know who you are. You need to know that you are an awesome guy who has a lot to sell. And if, if things are not perfect and it didn't come out perfect and you asked the question and, and it wasn't the right time in a healthy relationship, so what is she going to do to you? She's going to say to you, oh, that's such a good question. Maybe we could talk about that on the next date. Or I need a few days you know, before we broach this topic. 
if if things are given over in a way where you're taking her into consideration as to how you're coming across and the question you're asking, 99% of the time, you will not run into issues. If you're always second-guessing second yourself, you're mentioning the idea of going to, ther- to, to therapy, which is very, very chashev, it's very good, you, you should get yourself a safer, like, Bring Out the Best by Rabbi Yisrael Roll, which is a great book, which takes you through, you know, the Alter of Slabatka, like his whole machalach in, in developing self-confidence and self-awareness as to who you are. So my answer to you is that you're, you have the pieces there. And Yosef, I mean, you're, you're a guy who clearly has confidence enough to stand up in front of now it's 533 people to ask this question. So that one girl who's, who's triggering something within you that you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, how is she going to take this? Don't be so scared of her. She's not going to bite you. She's not going to scream at you. She wants a man. A woman wants a man. I know it's going to sound very shocking. A woman wants a husband who's driven, who's decisive, who makes, you know, who makes decisions, who gets into the car and says, I have an awesome night planned for us. Not a guy who's like, eh, Efshi, you want to go somewhere? I don't know. You know, a girl wants a guy who's a guy. So be a guy. Show up to the date like a boss. Like show up and put your best foot forward. And you'll see that that in itself almost always works. If you momish have fears, if you see that you're getting close, it's the eighth, ninth, tenth date, whatever it is. And you're just like panicking. You feel like I, I can't get myself to pull the trigger. I, I don't know what's going to be with this engagement. Get somebody in your life who could guide you through that because it might just be the nerves that need to be walked through. It also could be something that your brain is telling you something's wrong over here. But it sounds like when a person is nervous from day one walking in, those jitters, that's a person that just needs a little boost of confidence. And when you get that confidence, usually things will go over smooth. Get that man a book. Okay, um, anybody e- email Coach Menachem at Gmail uh, the question, you know, what, what your question was, and with your mailing address, and then we'll send it to Rabbi Schaefer and he will mail you a book. Okay, Yosef, next. You're online. Hi. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to know um, can there be a happy couple that have certain areas, whether it's personality and dress, um, outlook of either finances or chinach or hashkafa, that they're not in sync, but they happily agree to disagree or not see eye to eye on the matter and remain connected and, and together in other areas, but coexist with this particular issue? Great question. Let me repeat that question. Is it, is it possible for a couple to not be 100% on the same page on every single area of their life that in certain areas they're, let's call it quote unquote, coexisting? So I'm going to answer that question as follows. Answer, people I find oftentimes don't decide that that's what they're going to do. It's just mamela happens, meaning in most marriages, most relationships, when we, when we start off, we realize that the person has an idiosyncrasy or uh, let's call it a value, a hashkafa, whether it's finance or whatever the case may be, where we're not necessarily on the same page. So what we oftentimes one, one do- thing, Sometimes for, for the balance of the relationship, it's helpful if they're not in sync. If they're not what, I'm sorry? If they're not in sync, meaning if one is more polarized, then you know, it's kind of not being in sync balances out the dynamic. Yeah, so sometimes it's true. Sometimes it is very good. You have two impulsive people, right? It's not good. You need one person to be a little bit more thought out and, and, and you know, and one person who's, you know, driving the ship that says, no, let's do this. And let's do that. I agree with that 100%, but that doesn't mean that they're not on the same page. That's a couple that is on the same page because they're on the same page to balance each other out. That's a beautiful relationship. That's, that's amazing. If, if, if all couples who realize that they had differences said to each other, listen, I realize that I'm impulsive and I realize that you're thought out. So when it comes to finances, here's how we're going to do it. 
I think that's the greatest couple in the world because they successfully, you know, realized that within their Milas and Chesrainas, the other person, Mamish, fills that gap perfectly. That's, that's amazing. I thought you were asking about somebody who is not like that, where the two of them, you know, he wants to spend a lot of money and she doesn't want to spend any money, like that kind of thing. So in, in those situations, when, when they're not in agreement with each other and they just say, okay, let's just agree to disagree, that is only going to last until the next time they're tested in that area, right? So the next time they need to redo their living room and, and, and she wants to go ahead and bring in you know, you know, a, a space planner and she has her friends that they did all of their work and they're coming over with their opinions. And he thinks like, oh, we just need like a, no, a new tissue box holder in the dining room. You know, like, well, what's the big deal? Like it, it's $49 and we're on our way. We have a new dining room. That's where the conflict is going to arise. So a couple like that, their agreement to disagree is not really an agreement to disagree. It's just an agreement to avoid each other so long as they don't have to actually face this conflict head on. But the minute they have to, that's where the, the, the conflict is going to start driving a wedge between them. Okay, amazing. Okay, next live question. You're on. Hi, Rabbi Epstein. How are you? Hi. Um, so, kind of a double question. First of all, just I was wondering, just a couple of practical tips in regards to communication. Um, just in, in regards to with one's wife, what, what is something that is, um, what, what's something that you, we could work on to really hear what each other are saying? Sometimes I just, sometimes I feel like it doesn't even register. Um, and the second question is, what's your opinion on um, uh, a man talking to women and a, a husband talking to other women and a wife talking to other men? Like, like, what are the boundaries there? Okay. Okay, you ready? We'll do, we'll do, we'll do, uh, first one first. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, um, tips for communication. Like how does a person or how does a couple who wants to get certain things out across to each other? Um, how do they, how do they deal with it? So the first thing is, um, if a person feels like they're not being heard, or their, or their spouse is talking to them and they're not, you know, getting, getting their point across. So let me say as follows. I think that there was a large segment of the population that believes that communication is the number one uh, skill for marriage. I don't buy into that. I, I, I find that people communicate really, really, really well. You know, I've had couples sitting in my house who, you know, the husband turns to his wife and says, I don't like you at all. <laughs> I'm going to be straight with you. I don't like you. Okay. Now that guy is a great communicator. Okay. He's, he's great. So if communication was the best, it was their issue, that would not be the problem. More often than not, what's happening is that people often have like, like either, either an annoyance with the other person. So they're not like responding. They're not like listening into like what's actually like being conveyed over to them. But if a couple wants to have like a heart-to-heart conversation, especially when there's a disagreement, you'd be very, very wise to first agree with the other person. And I don't just say this like, like pandering or just doing this like in a way just to like be nice, but like to actually realize that your spouse is not a mashogana, right? You dated somebody who you liked and you loved and you looked into and you researched and you went through like the whole nine yards. Now you have children and a mortgage and businesses. You have all these things, right? And all of a sudden they became crazy yesterday. 
because they disagree with you, now they're crazy. So probably the hardest, but the best skill that I would suggest is that you, you literally have to take yourself and before you ever disagree with your spouse, you should always agree with them. You could do this for a number of seconds, minutes, hours, or days. But like, think through what they're saying to you. Repeat it back to them. Oh, so you're saying this? Wow. Okay, I hear that. And, and that's it. And just like adopt that. Adopt that in your mind. My wife thinks this. Okay, that's a good idea. I could hear that. I could hear that it has a place. I maybe disagree with her like right off the bat, but I'm not getting there yet. I first have to like adapt, adopt the fact that like my spouse, who half of the brain is emotional, she sees the world through an emotion. And this is her reality. And she thinks that this should be the decision. And this is how she thinks we should raise our child. Or this is the kind of money that she thinks needs to be spent because she wants to have a certain appearance that I don't necessarily think is important. But for her, it is important. So then because I think she's important and because she thinks this is important, it is important. And when we can internalize that for ourselves, now we can like get ourselves on board with that. Okay, so you think that we should like redo, I'm keep going back to redoing the dining room, okay? So we, we should like redo the dining room. Okay, I actually think that's a very good idea. Now, can we talk through how much we should spend on it? Can we talk through, you know, who should be doing it? What's our budget? What's the time frame? Now we are on board with this thing and you'll oftentimes find that the more, and I hate the word validation because there's certain words they could just say. I do mean validation, but to just say, oh, you need to validate the person usually means you just throw them a bone and go, oh, yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying. Okay, but no, right? <laughs> you just like, you nod your head just to tell them that you disagree with them. I mean, to actually really get on board with, the, with what they're saying, repeat back to them and actually get on board with it. Now say to them, you know, now that we've decided that it would be important if we had a nice dining room, I'm not even saying that we could afford it yet, but let's at least start talking because we're both on the same page. So that I think is like the first, the first side of things. Always agree before you disagree, even in your mind, even for a second, because it actually will allow you to validate what the other person is saying and it'll allow you to both be on the same page. In terms of friends of the same gender or the opposite gender, you know, opposite genders over here, it's a very, very, very slippery slope, which I hope I could speak openly over here. I don't know, we'll try to use all Lushanucky. Yeah, we, we could do that. Yeah, like Lushanucky uh, openness. Chazal were very, very smart. And Chazal put into place many, many, many gedarim in terms of how we speak, in terms of how we meet, who we meet, you know, the ideas of nigia and yichud, and even just a certain decorum and a certain mindset and mentality. And I, I will tell you that people oftentimes are less forgiving when there's an emotional um, attachment from a spouse to somebody else of the opposite gender than when there's just a physical attraction from one to the other, if you understand what I'm saying. Meaning when people start slipping down that slope of being too chummy-chummy with somebody in the office or somebody that oftentimes drives a major wedge between a couple, which should be very, very careful. So therefore, what I'm saying to you is, Chazal, we're smart. Make sure you keep halacha and make sure that you don't ever do something that you need to cover up from your spouse. If your spouse cannot know what happened, where you were, what was said, if your spouse cannot access, and I'm not saying that you should give them your WhatsApp, but I'm saying if your spouse cannot openly look at your WhatsApp and just nod her head and go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that was a business conversation, that's totally fine, or yeah, I understand that. If all those elements are not there, then stop what you are doing. If you're in such a situation, 
I would advise you either find a new job or you find the person who's with you, find them a new job. But don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to wreck your, your, your marriage, your home, your children, everything for, for, for a friendship that ultimately could really, you know, make you pay, pay a very steep toll. Well said, Epstein. Beautiful. Um, again, I just want to mention, anybody who asks a question, please email coachmanachem at gmail.com. Put your question and your mailing address so we can send you a book. Here's, here's an interesting question. I've been going out a lot with a lot of guys for a long time, many dates, and I don't have a reason to say yes or no, and I feel stuck. So the question is how to do this, how am I doing this, um, and I need some help. Okay, so this is this is a question that I get um, fairly often, you know, from people where they're going out with somebody, they go out five, six, seven, eight times, they don't have a reason to say yes, meaning get engaged. So therefore, they keep saying yes, and they go out again and again and again. But when you say to them, like, you know, are you milchiks or are you flashiks? Like, what's going on over here? They're like, I, you know, I don't feel anything. I just feel very, very on the fence, very like noncommittal. You know, if he would propose to me tonight or if she would, you know, say to me, let's go, let's, let's get married, I would, I, would, I would panic and I wouldn't know what to do. My answer to that is that in most of those cases, what I find is that either one or both of those parties are not really dating the other person emotionally. It means to say, when you go out with a person, you could spend, I, I'll, I think the best muscle for this is like a person look back at your friends from school. You know, you look across at your classmates from eighth grade. There were some of them you were super close with. You knew them. They knew you. You knew their struggles, the ups and their downs, and you went through life with them. And then you knew that person across the room, they were in your class for for, for eight years or 10 years or 12 years, right? By the time you get to 12th grade and base medrash or seminary. And like, you know them. And if you see them in the street, you'd wave to them, but you really don't know them. You know that you don't know them. They know that you don't know them. You just don't know them. You just don't have that connection to them. If a person goes out on a date again and again and again, there's a very good chance that if you're not actually getting the person to open up to you and you're not opening up to the person in an emotional way, and I don't mean like crying and sobbing and blowing your nose every three minutes, you know, as you talk about like, you know, your deep, deepest, darkest secrets that you could save till after you get married. When you're dating, I'm joking, right? When you get, when you're, when you're dating the person and you're, you're simply asking them a question like, you know, what, tell me something that was difficult for you. Or, you know, was there was ever a time that you that you cried? Or like, what was the last time you cried? That Let's say that question. What was the last time you cried? Think about that right now. When was the last time you cried? Somebody says, I never cry. That person, they have no emotion. You're very stoic. Somebody says, I cry every day. That person's extremely emotional. Most of us fall somewhere in the middle, right? You cry by a funeral. You cry, maybe cry by a wedding. You cry by a bris. You cry when you hear certain pieces of news. But within that range, there's a huge range of people. Get into conversations about things that are of an emotional nature, and you'll oftentimes find that the person will open up to you in ways that you are, your eyes will like click open. Wow, this is what it will mean to go through an emotional journey with this person. Because ultimately, marriage is an emotional connection with another person. So if you do that on the dates and those elements start to become real, you're going to be like, wow. I am so lucky that I got a person who when she saw or she heard this story, she started crying and she said a capital to him. Then she donated to the cause and then she pulled herself together and she went right back to whatever she was doing. 
That speaks to me. That's the type of girl that I want. As opposed to somebody who went to this type of seminary, that type of seminary, that stuff is not what's going to make you like, oh my gosh, she went to, I'm not going to say a seminary. She went to this seminary. Oh my gosh, I'm marrying her tomorrow. That's, that's shallow. That is so shallow. You're not going to date somebody or go out, marry somebody just because of that. You're going to marry somebody because there's something about them that's pulling. And if you want that thing to pull, you have to start dating emotionally and you have to start unpackaging it. You know, I have a whole seminar on my website, marriagepro.co, where we, we go through like an entire, it's called Date Like a Pro, where we go through like the whole dating side of things. And one of those segments is where we go through all the emotional questions that a person can ask, where you really start to see like the, the, the titan of a person, the, the, the internal workings of a person, so that you, you get a sense, like if I'm married to this person, this is the kind of life that I'm going to get. So it'd be very, very wise for a person in that situation to, to start preparing themselves for their next date. Cause it sounds like you have something great going. You're on your seventh, eighth, ninth date. Great. You have so many good things going now go ahead and throw it over the top by dating emotional, emotionally, not emotional. Don't walk into the dates to start crying, but like dating emotionally, like asking emotional questions, things that will actually like get you to connect with the person. And you'll find that it worked. I can tell you throughout the years of sitting with whatever, I don't want to say the number, but it's, it's quite a lot of people. You know, this question is, is way up there and it's probably the top five questions that I get. And when people start doing this, you know, I, I find they, they, they call me back a few days later, Mazel Tov, I'm a chassan, I'm a kala, like it clicked and now we're ready to go. It's like, it's good. It's a very good sign. It's a good question. Now you have to throw it over the top. Okay, unbelievable. Great. So I'll meet the next person. Okay, another person. Okay, um, Okay. let's go jump, jump on that. There's so many live questions at once. I'm trying to navigate it. Okay, you're on. Hi, um, question. A person that's in recovery, when does he have to disclose it? Does he have to disclose it? It's kind of uh, part of the past, but it's also in the future because they continue through the 12 steps of recovery itself growth. So I just want to know. Thank you. That's a a very good question. Okay, so this is is an important question here. I'm not going to be able to answer your question head on, but I'm going to give you just a couple of, 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 of concepts over here. Okay, number one is, Every single person who has this question, I'm going to call it a Shila, needs to have a big person that they ask. And that person should be a person who's recognized. Not, um, I'm going to speak for myself, not a Ruven Epstein, but somebody who, you know, if and when the story goes, goes public and the person finds out about it and says, hey, why didn't you tell me earlier about this and this and this? You could say, well, it's because I asked Marenu Harav, Rash Kabahag, this and this person, and this was the guidance that I received. In general, though, to give you certain guidelines, the way that it generally works is that if something is possible to either affect the relationship or it's something which is well known to people or that the spouse is going to find out, it generally should be conveyed the question really is not if, the question is that it usually has to be conveyed. The question just is when it should be conveyed. And the question is how it should be conveyed. So some people make rules. I don't necessarily like those rules where they say like on the third date, you should say this, but I don't agree with that because I told you before I got engaged on my third date. And then I have people who are on their 10th date and they feel like they're on the first date. So I don't agree with any, I don't, I don't think that there's any number. You can't say you have to say this on the third date when the third date might really be the first date. So I don't think that there's a number, but generally when things start to become more serious, when, when it seems pretty evident that this shidduch is progressing forward, um, that's usually when things you know, should be conveyed over and how they're given over also that the person understands exactly what it means 
to be married to somebody who, for example, is in 12 steps or is a recovering addict, um, they may want to ask questions such as, you know, can I speak to your therapist or is there more information I could read up on this, you know, specific uh, addiction or diagnosis or whatever it is. And that should be prepared before so that it comes over well. Sometimes, and again, it's a case by case basis, um, a third party will convey it over to the family. So sometimes you have, you know, the, 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 the let's say the boy's rub will call the girl's rub or the girl's parents and say, you know, things are going great. They're on their seventh date. Baruch Hashem, everything's wonderful. I feel that I need to tell you that this boy is a great boy. He's wonderful. He's going to make a great thing. And here's the information that you need to know. If you need more information, I'm here for you. So my, my short answer to you is that in general, something like that needs to be conveyed. The question is just when exactly that's a case-by-case basis and exactly who should do it and how they should do it. That's a case-by-case basis, but that's generally the, the parameters for that. Amazing, Rabbi Epstein. Okay. Again, please email Coach Menachem with your question and your address so we can send you a book. Next live question you're on. Hey, hey, Epstein, how are you? Thank you so much for having these discussions. So I actually have two questions. My first is, do you continue dating if the other person seems like a perfect match? but you're not really physically attracted like after dating six or seven times. And also you mentioned about history being history. So my second question is, do you need to discuss your history if your history is already history? Thank you. Okay, so, okay, two great questions. I'm just making myself a little note over here. Okay, so in general, I'm gonna say as follows, is that a physical attraction generally, generally will follow an emotional attachment. Okay, that's generally how it works. It's not 100% of the time. Sometimes it's just not there, in which case you have a good question. But what I find overwhelmingly is that sometimes people say that's a perfect match intellectually. So meaning he seems to be a great guy. It seems to be that, you know, hashkafically, we want to start the type of marriage that we want to discuss. I would suggest somebody who's in such a situation, they go back to the drawing board and they say, okay, great, we're on our seventh, eighth date. Seems like it's good. But this little bit is, is nagging me. 99% of the time, if a person throws himself into this emotionally, you'll find that this will resolve itself. If it's not for some reason, it may be an indication that something else is going on or something else is nagging you and you'd be very wise to speak it out with somebody. The second thing in terms of history being history, the short answer is, is that if it's not going to impact the marriage and if it's something which is, is not well known to people, then it's a good shyla that somebody should ask. And oftentimes the guidance that they will receive is that this thing should not be conveyed because, you know, what's the reason of saying something just to say it? I once had a girl who called me with a shyla anonymous, anonymously, obviously. Um, and I meaning definitely for this forum, it's anonymous. But even to me, she was anonymous. She so just called me and she said, here's, I have a shyla. Um, and she asked me a whole shyla, which was of this nature. I called a certain gadol, a certain paisek, um, on her behalf to ask the Shaila. Um, and it was a very complex Shaila, which I won't get into right now. And, you know, I got the answer, you know, on her behalf. At the end of the answer, the Psak, this Gadol said to me, and by the way, just so you know, the story never happened. So I said, what does that mean? The story never happened. The story happened. Obviously, I'm calling you. She says, no, as far as she's concerned, she did chuva. She moved on with her life. The story never happened. She should never bring this up. This should not be a conversation. The story never happened. Tell her, Bishmi, this never happens. Not something that she needs to say. With this guidance, if something is not going to impact the marriage, if something is not well known to people, again, it's a shaila, but oftentimes the guidance that may be given over is that this is something that should not be conveyed. A question came the other way. We keep on asking the question, 
if I should give over the person talking about themselves. Well, the question came in the other way. I was read a shidduch to a great guy today who's in yeshiva, but he has, as a past, as a teenager, he had girlfriends and relationships. How much of their past history should I take as important today? So it's the same question, just on the on the receiving end. So you know about something about somebody else, because somebody told you. Now they're great, whether it's a guy or a girl, girl to guy. How do, how do I know if they're over it? Or how do I know, you know, how do I take it? That, that, I think that's a great question. It goes to, to the heart of, you know, something that I always tell people when they're dating is that we cannot underestimate the power of research. You know, research, obviously I'm not talking about, you know, hiring a private detective, but the idea of asking enough questions to people, not necessarily people, by the way, who are on the Shidduch resume, because those are not necessarily the right people to be discussing, you know, but people that you feel are close enough that know the person who are able to answer real hard-hitting questions. Most people don't sit down on the first day and turn to the person and say like, so, you know, you know what I heard about you, right? They don't do that. Right? They, they usually go on the date understanding that like the research is the research. And if you're on the date, it means that you've done enough research to be able to like, you know, accept the person for what they, what, what the known information is there. So I, I would answer a person like that and say, if the person actually made their history history, and it's something that you yourself are comfortable with, with, which is a case by case basis, nobody can answer that for you. But if a person is actually comfortable with that, then, then that's great. We have a, we have the kayak of tshuva. People fall, you fall down, you get back up, you fall down, you get back up, you listen to the song and you do it again and again and again. And this guy fell and he got back up. So great. He's a wonderful guy. Why should, why should this person suffer? Why should this girl suffer? But the one thing that I do think is important is that when you hear that somebody had a history, it's important to understand if there was an element there that caused that history. Meaning, you're, you hear that this guy had girlfriends. You hear that this guy didn't keep Shabbos. Fine, that's, that's the symptom. But what happened there? Was it because his parents were overbearing? Did he have a hard time in yeshiva? Was there some sort of neglect or abuse or something? That's the part that I would be more focused on than the actual history itself. The history is usually just somebody crying out in pain. You look at people who struggle through various things, whether it's addictions, where they're trying to you know, numb the pain or distract from the pain, or, or they're, they, usually it's, it's something that's triggering what's going on. And I would be more inclined to find out about that rather than finding out about how much of the history I'm comfortable with. That would be more of my focus. Okay, unbeliever of Epstein. Okay, next live question, you're on. Hi, do you hear me? Yes, we do. Hi, okay, so my question was on couples meals. Um, I'm married for two years, and I heard different, you know, views on it from seminary teachers, from friends, from peers. Um, my husband and I spoke about it. Um, I wanted to know if such a thing is, you know, really detrimental or friendly with the other gender, um, or if there's a right way to do it, like I'm saying, like when my husband and I were discussing it, we were saying like if you know we we consider ourselves healthy normal people, and if we invite our friends or certain friends, not all, we believe are healthy people, and, and we'll have a, a meaningful Shabbos table or a meaningful Yom Kippur, an enjoyable conversation that's not focused around gossip for other people. Is this something that we that we shouldn't and could continue? Is something that is advised to be limited? Like what's what's the you know the effect that can have on your marriage? What's you know what, what would your insight be? Right, right, right. Yeah. Just repeat the questions. It was hard to hear. Okay, so the question is regarding couple meals, couples getting together for meals, like on Shabbos. Is that something that across the board should not be done? Is that something that should be done? Is that something that should be done with certain guidance or, or something like that? Because in seminaries, they oftentimes say, 
from? I think that was a question that in seminaries or teachers sometimes often say, you know, absolutely not. A couple is a couple and therefore they have a fragile new home that shouldn't be rocked by having any new couples over. And you also can't have any seminary girls over. And you also can't have any single guys over. So you should just live in your apartment and lock the door until you come out um, when you're 90 years old. And, and only then and only then you're able to you know, interact with the rest of society. So I'm going to share with you, you know, the guidance that I've received from, you know, Rabbi Yisrael Berkowitz, my Rebbe, um, which is as follows. A person has to know themselves and a couple has to know themselves. So nobody is expected to become a hermit and nobody's expected to just lock yourself, especially a couple's moving to Eretz for example, or you move to Lakewood or Muncie, wherever, and just live in your apartment for the next four years or five years and never, ever have an interaction with another, with another soul. That's not exactly what's expected of people. The, the point that I think is being made by a lot of these proclamations, which seem a little bit on the extreme end, is be very, very cautious. And there's a reason why they're saying that is because unfortunately people, when they get together, oftentimes act a little bit dressed down out of their element. And therefore there's a lot of interactions between men and women. And a couple that just got married who has a fragile home needs to be extremely careful with this. So my answer would be, is that again, if the couple themselves who's sitting at the table is really comfortable with the type of people that they're having over and they're B'nai Aliyah and they're good people and they're smart as to how they do it, where they have, you know, the men sitting on one side singing Zmiris and the women on the other end, you know, they're talking about whatever it is that the women talk about. That's great. And that's wonderful. And, and you should go ahead and you should do it because it's something that you need. It's part of the social need of a, of a couple is to do that. But they should be very, very cautious that there's, that there's no comments that are made, that there's no interactions that are made, that there's, that there's no room for, for, for slippery slopes. And if they realize that they're inviting the wrong type of people or things like that, that should be a problem. I remember when I was in Eretzishal, we once had a group that came over to our house and there was one, there was a bacher, just a, a guy who was just acting totally out of place. He was just like totally off in, in, in everything that he was saying. And that was the end of it. That chavra, that group just was not there anymore because we were a young married couple. This guy just didn't have a place in this house. Nothing that even crossed any boundaries, but it was just like from a mile away, you saw that this guy's interaction with people was just like not appropriate. So I would just say, if a person is a smart person and they're, they're a ben aliyah and the couple is growing and they want to do the right thing, I, I would not tell them that they can't have anybody over to their house. I would just say, be very cautious. Be very cautious. Smart not to have you know, strangers sleeping in your house. It's smart not to have, you know, certain types of people in your house. But if, if it's, a, it's a homogenous group of people who share the same values and are able to grow, I think it's very smart. But I do have to give credence to this warning that is being, you know, shouted from the rooftops by a lot of teachers. And the reason is because I'm on the receiving end of many cases where things do go downhill. I have to say most of them don't start at Shabbos meals. That, that I think is, is pretty clear in my opinion. They don't start at Shabbos meals. But, but obviously interactions between, you know, couples has to be done in a certain, with a certain covered rice, with a certain amount of, you know, a certain way that it's done in, in, in a healthy way. If you're able to do that, I, I, yeah, go for it. Here's an interesting idea. Just, um, we know that we're not perfect. The question is, if you're meeting someone who is good, but you're looking for a little bit more, you know, how do you know if that's, if, you, if, you know, everything else is fine? But you're looking for something a little bit more. So how do you know if you should say no or maybe continue? It's it's like we know ourselves that we're not perfect. We have our own concerns. Right. So I'm going to say as follows. And by the way, 
Menachem, of course, if there's something that you disagree with here, you want to jump in, please, you know, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, I'm going to share with you as follows. You know, perfect in my, in my lexicon when it comes to dating is perfect for me. That's, to me, perfect. Perfect is that this perfect is perfectly compatible with me. This is something that I can grow with and that after 100 years, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, I brought out the best in my wife. My wife brought out the best in, you know, we used to sit with Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein on many panels and people would say, how do I find like a guy like you, Rabbi Wallerstein? You're so accomplished. I hear you. Well, he's frozen. Come on, I can take over. I didn't hear what Rabbi Wallerstein said, but I guess we'll hear it in a minute. This wasn't me. Who, who was I? Because I was about to go back to the story of Rabbi Wallerstein. Yeah, you got frozen. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm saying Rabbi Wall- people would say to Rabbi Wallerstein, they would say, you know, how do I marry a guy like you? I want to marry a guy who's successful and who has, you know, all these things going for him, who's going to save the world and be there for the claw. And Rabbi Wallerstein would always say, you don't want to marry a guy like me. I'm 60 years old. You want to marry a, a, a 22-year-old guy who has his life in front of him and that you will cultivate out from him who he's going to become. And he always would say, you think I, I, I got married like this? I was totally different when I got married. And Menachem, I'm sure you could say the same thing. Usher, you could say the same thing. I certainly could say the same thing, right? Who we are in who is really who we're, who we're on, on the road to becoming. You know, I always say that the concept that Rabbi Akiva, who the Gemara says, he looked back and he said, you know, when I was in Amaretz, I used to, I want to bite a Talmud Chacham like a donkey. Why? Because a donkey breaks bones. He hated Tamid Chachamim, right? And he went on to, the, to become the great Rabbi Akiva. The great Rabbi Akiva, who Maish Rabbeinu said, he's right to be Makavol the Torah, right? And Rabbi Akiva looks back after all this time and he says to his Tamidim, Shaliva Shalachem, Shalahi. It's my wife's credit. So we, we think, oh, he was being very nice to his wife. Oh, yeah, give her a shkayach. That's not shot what he was saying. He was saying, the only way I became me was because of my wife. Because my wife saw that there was a certain mido within me. Her father, Kabbalah Sevoah, did not want Rabbi Akiva as a son-in-law. She fought the whole world to be able to like marry him and bring out the best in him. They slept on straw. They lived in a barn. They had absolutely nothing. But it was her support and her encouragement that brought out from Rabbi Akiva who he ultimately became. Shalivah so, Shalachem Shalahi is Rabbi Akiva. And I, I oftentimes say this to people. If you're fetching about your spouse, stop for a minute and realize that if your spouse was incredibly successful, there's a very good chance that you would take credit for that. If your husband made a ton of money, if your husband started an organization that he was saving the world, if your husband had anything that was really worth, worthy of writing up in an article somewhere or, or being on anything, you would say, that's my husband. Yeah, you know, I'm behind him, right? I support him. I build him up. And, and when he's not so successful, like, where's the role over there of that wife? Of understanding, like, you have this kayach. Your husband's not getting out of bed. You could encourage him. You could build him up. You could make him who you want him to become. So many people try to change their spouses. They sit back and they go, if only he was different, then my life would be better. Okay, fine. That's true. But you know what? If you brought out from him who you want him to become, he'll also get there because of you. And not because of being naggy and, 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 and whining to him. No, because you actually understand 
his his chesroinus, you understand his milus, you understand his abilities, you understand what he's capable of becoming, and you channel it and you grow with it. People are not race cars. We don't just turn right and fly right. We're like big ships. You turn the wheel, it turns the rudder. Slowly over a few miles, there's like some change that goes about and happens. Rabbi Wallace didn't get married and two weeks later open up the ranch and BCA and, and Arnava and Ataris Nava and Benos Bina. That's not what happened. It was over years and years of his wife's dedicated support that he started opening one organization, then another organization, and he had the right team around him and the right people. If you want your spouse to become successful, invest in them. Realize where they have their, their, their inner strength and cultivate that. If you're complaining about your spouse, chances are there's a little bit more work on your end, no matter who you are, that you're able to put into your spouse. I know it's going to sound a little harsh, but if you set the bar high for your role within this relationship to bring it out, you oftentimes are able to do that as opposed to just fetching and complaining. Fetching and complaining doesn't get anybody anywhere. It doesn't work with children. It doesn't work with adults. It doesn't work. You have to go about a totally different model of being able to bring out the best in somebody else. Beautiful. So here's, I'm currently dating a great girl, great family, and Baksham, everything is great. After the fifth date, which I'm also ready to give a yes to get engaged, she told me that, or she told me that she's on antidepressant for the last few years. And I'm totally lost, not sure what to do or even to discuss it with the Shatrim parents, it's private information. What, yeah. what am I supposed to do with this information? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this goes to that question of history, right? Where somebody knows something about the history. So this is from that perspective. So this girl, it sounds like uh, you're dating a great girl from a great family. This girl came out in the open and she said, I want you to know I'm on antidepressants. Right. So the average guy who's dating and probably the average person who's not dating doesn't really understand what that means because they're not, you know, clinical psychologists to understand any of this world. So, first of all, I would say that he should say to her, wow, you are a rock star. Right. Because you opened up to me and I really appreciate that you shared this with me. And it must have been so hard for you. And I can't imagine how hard it is for you that you need to be on, you know, antidepressants to keep your, your mood up. And it's very interesting because I didn't even notice it because you're so great and you're so chipper on these dates. Wow, what a rock star you are. So that's the first thing I would say that he should you know, say there. The second thing is I think he should say to her, um, what else can you share that, I, that you think I need to know? Because you obviously think I need to know this. What else can you share with me? Because I don't seem to know anything about antidepressants. What can you tell me? And then you get her to share with you as much as she's willing to, to, to tell you. And then I would say that he should probably say to her, you know what? I want to respect your privacy. And I understand if you are nervous with me telling my mother and my father, who you don't know, you maybe didn't even meet them yet, right? And they themselves may be known as like, you know, either people who are nosy or people who have a mouth, whatever it is, it's private information. Why would I, you know, feel comfortable sharing your information? However, I would just ask you that since I am a 21-year-old guy who, you know, doesn't know much about much about anything, I would just ask you, you know, I would like to discuss this with somebody. So are you okay? Or, you know, if I discuss this with either a Rav, a Rebbe, a mentor, Coach Menachem, whoever it is, who could give me guidance as to, you know, what more information I need to know. Is there a therapist I need to speak to? Is there a doctor I need to speak to? What information can you tell me? And who would you feel comfortable with me sharing this with? People oftentimes when when there's a, a, a disclosure of some sort of either diagnosis or something like that, 
they want the shidduch to go through. And I think that this touches on a point, which is that every relationship really runs on feelings of security. You need to feel safe and secure with your spouse. You also, in order to become vulnerable with them, in order to have bittle with them, to like become one with them, in order to trust them. So if this relationship is holding to the point where she feels trusting enough to be able to disclose this information, it's really important for him to acknowledge that. And then along with her say, okay, I would just like to find out more information about this and then go from there. So I, I think that's a great couple that's uh, going in the right direction. The question, the question is also, Barakashan mental health, has Barakashan become more, you know, people are talking about it. There are still people out there who are not familiar or are scared of anything. They talk about right. medication, they jump. So, and also they want to know why, why should they go for, you know, forward? Why start on, you know, by them, it's like starting on the left foot. Right. So the answer is, is that people, what I find in my experience, the people who oftentimes who, who, who struggle with different things in life, those are some of the greatest people in the world. You know, these are people who've been through various things, you know, whether it's trauma, abuse, um, not to use any therapeutic words or anything like that. But some of these people, I've heard from many, many, many people who are dating that they specifically want somebody who's been through things in life. I'm sure you've heard this also. I specifically want somebody who's been through life because you take a guy who's 22 who just came out of the best yeshiva in the world and he's the best kid in his family and he's always the best and the best and the best, right? That guy, you, you know, I want to just share with you something. I don't, I, I love our yeshiva system and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything negative, you know, at all. We are not always prepared for failure, we are not always prepared for life, just simply coming out of the system. The system is there and it gives you tremendous tools. It gives you a lot of hashkafa. It gives us a lot of things, no question about it. But failure, struggles, not necessarily are most, most parts of our system geared for preparing people like that. Someone who's experienced that and who, who, who overcame that whether it's with, you know, going to a recovery program, going through pill, whatever it is, those are some of the greatest people in our society. You know, that concept of somebody actually like getting themselves to that point, to me, I take my hat off to, the, to such a person. If somebody doesn't want to take their hat off to them and they say, no, my family, this is a stigma and therefore I don't want to get involved. Fine, it's not for you. But I would just encourage if somebody is, has the fortitude to like, hear how strong this person is that they were vulnerable with you and they feel comfortable enough with you and they feel that you would be the right person to have a strong marriage with them don't write that off so quickly take the time to to ask questions to the right people and you oftentimes find out that the boogeyman is not here i find that in america more and more like you're saying there is still somewhat of a stigma but more and more people are okay and they understand you know the concept of therapy and struggles and these kinds of things not so much in other cultures let's call it but we live in a beautiful day and age where there's so many resources that people have if somebody's taken advantage of the systems that are there to support people who struggle and who failed and who have fallen and they've gotten back up i think that that's a really beautiful thing that somebody should not write off so quickly okay i believe we're about so many questions here hmm? oh Okay, you're on. It's another live question. Right, Hi. Hi. I was just curious. Um, this kind of goes back to you talking about um, 
there has to be some kind of emotional, uh, I don't know, reaction or resonance. Uh, when you talk to the person, could there be an unhealthy side as well? Like if you're dating, it's totally emotional. You're, you might be reacting emotionally because I've seen a lot of relationships that start out with a bang and then end with a whimper when they started out where it seems like they got along great. And then, you know, I, I mean, are there, should there be warning signs as well or anything to, to tell if it's, if it's just, you know, that it's really not a grounded kind of relationship. I mean, you also have the issue of compatibility. It can be compatible in an unhealthy way, you, get, you know, psychopaths looking for people that are insecure, you know, so are there any warning signs Sure. You know, when you're dating, just to make sure you're not just caught up in emotions or the here and the now. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm going to share with you something. I hope this answers your question. Um, but I'm going to share with you something that I believe to be um, so critical. I think it's something that really everyone needs to work on, um, each in our own way, let me call it. People think that emotions are either bad or... I'm going to use the word, it causes somebody to become a little bit unstable. Like, oh, they've got, mm-hmm. they became so emotional, right? They, people say, oh, the person fell apart. They became all emotional or they allow their emotions to get the best of them. Mm-hmm. Emotions are critically important, critically important because what an emotion does, it allows one to step outside of themselves into somebody else, mm-hmm. right? So in our own world, again, we're, we're, we're great. I'm wonderful in my own world. But if my, if my wife is crying or she had a hard day, right? So my being able to channel my emotion to like connect with her pain or what she's going through or her struggle, that's critical to a relationship. If you don't have the emotion, you don't have a relationship, right? It just doesn't work. So emotions, Hashem gave us emotions because emotions are, are, are so critical. You know why? Because Rahmana Libabai, Hashem wants a relationship with us. He wants us to daven and to connect to the words, not just in- intellectually, but emotionally as well. He wants us to like unpack a relationship with him. And he gives us this, this construct called marriage, which is where we get to practice, to have deep emotional relationships, you know, horizontally and then vertically with our children as well as with our parents as well. So we're surrounded by people who crave deep, meaningful connection and we're given emotions to be able to do that. The problem becomes when somebody's emotions run away with them rather than them being in control and channeling their emotion. And I think this goes to the heart of your question. A person's emotions are great and they're wonderful so long as the person is on top of the horse. If they're riding the horse and they're able to turn on the emotion and connect and then turn it off, and then go to work and function like a good, normal, you know, balanced member of society, then they're doing things right. If they're not, if their emotion is constantly overwhelming them and it's preventing them from functioning, that's where there's going to become like an imbalance that has to be, be looked at. So mm-hmm. the word compatibility is, 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 a, is, a, is the key word, but two people that are not getting out, you know, they're not functioning because they're just always, you know, emotional or they're always crying, that's not going to be a, a functional home. There has to be the functionality side of things, the relationship where they're able to function, they're able to go and do what they need to do. 
and then at the same time have that compatibility in terms of the emotions between one and the other. I hope I'm, I hope I'm answering your questions. The emotions are there. They need to be there. And they need to be compatible, but it cannot be to the point where the emotions are hampering or hindering the couple from actually being normal functioning parts of society. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rabbi Epstein, beautiful. We're rocking and rolling over here. Okay, the next up question, you're on. Okay, hi. Thank you for taking my call. So my husband and I are married for 15 years, and about 15 years, and we share the same as pretty much. We respect each other. We have a beautiful family, Baruch Hashem. But um, we went um, through a lot of therapy over the years. I just feel like we don't have, we don't share the same interest in conversation. My husband's like more practical. He talks about like more practical things. And I, I like, but I have a hard time connecting. We both have a hard time. We try, try, try. We go out, we try to talk and we just have a hard time sharing like just same interest we don't have the same interest okay i I, so okay can can i address this yeah all right so here's the deal okay men and women are radically different from one another shocker shocker okay so our, our interests generally are not going to be you know one and the same and that's that's generally how how hashem created us we are very very different creatures there is a side of our lives that needs to be um, where you need to have, I'm talking about for you, the woman, your girlfriends, your friends, your sisters, your, your cousins, your whatever. And that's a side of your life that you're able to talk about certain topics. And then there's the side that is sort of within the inner ring. You know, the muscle that we always give is like, it's like two rings that are overlapping, right? So you have your side of things that's you and his side of things that's him. And then the inner stuff, which sort of, relates to your children, your families, whatever, you know, the things that are in the middle. If you're finding that a lot of your time is spent on things that really should be in the outer rings, the things like if he comes home and starts talking to you about, you know, um, you know, he's a mortgage broker and he's talking to you about, you know, uh, APR and zero down in 3% interest over 42 months, you know, you're going to be like bored to tears. Like, I couldn't care less about this stuff. This is how you spend your day. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would be bored out of my mind. So the same way that you have stuff in your life that he, quote unquote, couldn't care less about, and he has stuff in his life, that's because by design, that's two people that are have the functional side of their life. On the outside, this is who they need to be in order to have their job and maintain, you know, whatever it is that they have going on. You don't expect your husband to come home and start sharing with you, you know, machlekes rashi and taisvis, you know, in a gemara and chulin, you know, to understanding like, you know, a certain type of animal, if whether it's kosher or treif. And, you know, he's not going to do that because he knows that you have zero interest in in hearing any of that. So the the side, though, which is that whole middle side, that's where I would put a lot of energy into, into making sure that you're spending enough quality time with your husband, where the things that should be in there are in there. And, you know, it's going to sound funny to you, but you, you dated your husband, right? And when you came on to that date, you found that there's a lot of things that you guys have in common, right? You found that there's a lot of topics that you guys needed to talk through. How did you do that? The answer is because you prepared before subconsciously or consciously. And when you came out to the date, you were like, 
Oh my gosh, let me tell you the funniest story. Two years ago in the summer, I was rappelling down a mountain, blah, blah, blah. You spoke to him in his language and he spoke to you in your language. He took you out to eat and he wined and dined you. And he was like, oh, you want to go for a walk on the boardwalk, right? He, he spoke to you your language and you spoke to him his language. When we get married, all of a sudden, all that goes out the window. You know, I always say that it's brought down. It says, Chachmas Nashem Bansa Besa, right? The Chachma of a woman builds her house. But it's very interesting because women are known that they have Bina. Men are the ones that have chachma, right? So when I was much younger, I came up with this little chap that, no, pshat is like this, is that if a woman wants to know how to appeal to her husband, it's chachmas nashem vantze. She's going to talk to him in chachma. She's going to talk his language. When you're talking to your husband, his language, and he starts talking to you in your language, that's when things go. Most men in the office, like if they're fetching, you know, one to the other, like if a guy says, oh, last night my wife's family, you know, had an issue, whatever. Most guys don't go, oh, my gosh, that must have been so hard for you. They don't do that. Right? <laughs> they go, oh, oh, that's terrible. Right. You know, OK. And that's the end of the conversation. When a guy comes home, you don't want that. You want him to be connecting into your side of things. Right. Where you want him to sit there and say, oh, he never, oh that was so challenging. You're amazing. He's building you up and he's connecting to you. He's talking to you, your language. You, you're, you have to. Again, can't do this now, but it would be very wise for you to visit those areas of your relationship where you're spending in that inner ring and discovering why it is that the conversations from the outer ring are making their way into the inner ring, if, if you understand what I'm trying to say. And if you're able to do that, you'll oftentimes find that you could spend not an inordinate amount of time with your spouse and be able to like build a commonality around your children and your life goals and where you're going and your plans and your home, all the things that are in that inner ring, you'll be able to like foster conversation that the two of you are both genuinely interested in so that you both don't have to fake being there for the other person when you really couldn't care less about him talking about mortgage rates. You're actually able to like dial into the things that are like important to like both of you. Hey, Murray, the Grubb Epstein, okay. You're on live. Sorry, I'm just pushing it in. There's so many. I want, now there's so many more I want to get to. We're here till three o'clock, so people don't have to feel rushed. I'm saying another four hours to go. Intermission. We're going to sell popcorn soon. Okay, <laughs> you're on. Hi. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my question. Sure. Husband no, and wife are, the husband and wife are supposed to be on the same page, walk together. Uh, what happens if one of them... Um, digresses or has a different uh, take on a certain um, fact of life, let's say like Hashkafa or, or Ruchdias thing. Um, you know, they, they differ in their opinions. So they're not really supposed to, one is not supposed to really foist his or her opinion on the other. Um, she could be, or he could be a good role model um, or encourage. What, what should, what should, um, what should be happening then? And then could you give an example um, uh, of something that like they that they disconnect on. Give me an example. Um, let's say um, when it comes to let's say smartphones, how much how much of the smart how much the phone should be used or maybe being used too much, or one feels that the other is using it a little too much for whatever it is, or is on it too too much. It's, a, it's too it much is. of a distraction. Let's say. Okay. 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 So that, okay, good. So you're, you're, you're uncovering this question a little bit more. Okay. Let me, let me explain to you something that a lot of us do when it comes to um, arguments with our spouses. Okay. So I'm going to use your, your exact muscle and forgive me for, for playing with your words. Okay. And if I'm saying something that you disagree with, please, you know, feel free to step in over here. Let's say a husband comes home. I'm going to paint a scenario. Okay. I'm going to dress up your question a little bit. So a guy comes home, 
he worked uh, eight, 10, 12 hours that day. And he's just, he's just, he's gone. He has no emotional capacity for anything. He's not interested in anything, right? He just wants to like lay on the couch with his shoes off and, and be on his phone, right? A wife is sitting at home, sitting there saying to herself, uh, you know, sitting here waiting for eight, 10, 12 hours. I didn't get a text from you. I didn't get a hello from you. I was busy with my own things. I had a stressful day. I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to go for a walk with you. So the minute the husband lays down on the couch, there's two things that are happening, okay? The first thing is that she emotionally is sensing that there's a disconnect. That's, that's the first alarm bell that goes off. So she's sensing, hey, there's a disconnect over here. But if we turn to our spouse and we say, hey, uh, Yanko, I'm feeling disconnected right now. You know, could you spend a little bit of time and give me some uh, attention? Because that's what I really need from you. So one of two things is going to happen. Either he's going to get, you know, defensive and be, what do you mean? I spent the whole day working or whatever. Or he's going to reject her and say, no, I'm too tired right now. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted, right? But one of those two things are going to happen. And, and that for women, or the third thing is that he'll actually give it, give it to her, right? Which she doesn't want either because she feels like, oh, I had to ask him to spend time with me. I'm not good enough for him to want to come home and on his own spend time with me. So it's like dead end, dead end, and dead end. So what our brain does is our brain creates a theological reason why we're right. So our brain says to us, you know why he needs to go off the phone? Because it's ruining his ruchnias. You know why he needs to go off the phone? Because he's destroying the children. He's killing the kids. What type of home is this? The kids look, the father comes home. He doesn't pick up a Gemara. He doesn't spend time with his wife. He doesn't do anything. He looks like he's not functional. He just lays on the couch and he's not, he's, he's not doing anything. So he's ruining the children. And therefore, hashkafically, we have a problem. No, you do not have a hashkafic problem. Assuming your husband is not, you know, doing things that are hashkafically problematic, that is not the problem. The problem is, is that there's a disconnect over there. The disconnect is that the husband came home from a very long day and he just wants to chill out on the couch. And the wife is sitting at home saying, I know you want to chill out on the couch, but what about me, right? So the answer is they need to have a heart-to-heart conversation about each other, with each other. Don't bring in the kitchen sink. Don't bring in your in-laws. Don't bring in any sort of emotion. Don't bring in the reason why you think he's laying on the couch has anything to do with the fact that he's ruining the children or hashkafically he's disconnecting because that is not what's happening. What's happening is, is that you're feeling a disconnect. And if when your husband comes home, you turn to him, you say to him, wow, Yanko, you are amazing. You work 10 hours in mortgages. I would be bored to tears doing what you do every day. You're the most amazing guy in the world. I can't believe how hard you're working for the family. I think it would be great if you took like a half hour for yourself because you really seem to need it. And then I feel like we could use some time together. You don't use you language, like you're a bum and you know, you're not get, You don't use you language. You don't use I language. I language is just a nice way to criticize somebody. I feel like you're not giving me anything. It's just a nice way to be very, very mean to somebody else. You don't use you language and you don't use I language. You use we language. You say, I feel like we could use a little bit of time together. You must be feeling the same thing because you work so hard and clearly you need a break. How about if we spent a little bit of time together and we, you know, got ourselves, you know, on a date or we went out for a walk, we walk up and down the street. You use the concept of the marriage needing work. We together need to double down our efforts to work on this relationship. And you're going to be very, very surprised at how well that works. That works very well. When you don't make him feel like he's a failure, he's good. Because men don't like failing like failures. We don't like to fail at anything. 
The minute something like starts to fail, we become very defensive. So when a woman says to her husband, hey, you know what? I feel like you don't care about me and you're just the worst guy ever. He's like, I'm out of here. I don't know what you want from me. Something's wrong with you. They start diagnosing her. But the minute a wife is able to communicate like, hey, don't you sense that we could use a little bit more time with each other? Don't you sense that like we're both putting in so much time? You will be able to get your needs met so much faster if you, if you learned how to talk to him in that way. I wanted to say one thing here, which I think is super important, is that a lot of people think that the most important like words that a, a couple could say to each other is like, I love you, or I care about you, or I'm sorry, right? Or I'll never do that again. Like people, everyone has like their thing. I think the most important thing that a husband could say to his wife is I had the hardest day and I just couldn't wait to see you. When a husband says those words, right? Menachem, you mask him, right? That's it. When a guy says those words, it is golden because he, 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 he completed the circuit. He basically said to his wife, I want, I want to tell you something. I worked really, really hard today for you, right? And even through everything, I'm thinking about you. And you are doing such a great job as a wife that I actually want to connect to you more. Bingo. When you hear those words in your house, write that on the fridge like in, in permanent marker. But then I he, had the he, hardest. He has to stay there. But then he has to stay there. He can't run away. He said, "Oh, really? We, we, <laughs> we are lost. He's, he's that's called vulnerable, and he's opening up. And yeah, it's not easy. Correct. If a guy actually really truly feels that and he communicates that, that is an incredible sign that the husband and the wife are doing their best. And it goes back to one of our poll questions, which is, why are they feeling a disconnect? Distraction. He's distracted with work." He's, he's overwhelmed. He's getting up early. He has his chavrusas, whatever it is that he has going on in his life. If you appreciate who he is and what he has bringing to the table, what he's bringing to the table, and you acknowledge it and you say to him, we could double down on this. We can like spend a little bit more time together. Your needs will be met so much faster than if you try to change him, criticize him. And especially if you try to make the question, meaning if you try to make it into like a theological thing. I feel like hashkafically, or we need to put like filters on our phone. Like the guy Nebuch just worked 12 hours in mortgages. He comes home and like, you're taking away like his phone. He's like, hello, like give me a second to breathe. I need an outlet. I need five minutes. Not every guy is geared to walk in the door and we open a safer like for a half hour to chill out. You're sensing, most likely a woman is sensing. I'm not saying you, most likely a woman is sensing the disconnect. And that's a very good way to go about that. Amazing. Okay, Rabbi Epstein, we have so much more to cover. We're going to try to cover some, some of the big questions that came out. I'm going to try to cover them now, okay? All right. I'll come back for round two. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> okay, these are three questions. I'm going to crunch them all together because they're all basically similar. I grew up in a very unhealthy home, to say the least. I'm starting to date now, and I've been reading a lot of books and fear that my marriage is doomed to fail, especially statistically. How do I get involved with another person and bring kids into this world and I feel I might be one big disaster like my parents had. It's question number one. Yeah. Number two, I'm nervous to get married since the divorce rate is so high these days. And a few of my friends are already separated. And divorce seems like and marriages today are so, uh, so much harder. Is it meant to be that day? What do you think about that? Another thing. Another question. I know, uh, I know of friends of people who got divorced. When, when I date, how do I know that this guy doesn't have issues? What can I do? To, what should I look out for? So basically, yeah. all, the, all the same concepts. Yeah. Okay. So... You know, Rav Leif Steinman fa- famously, you know, told a Bachar who was struggling with learning. He said to the Bachar, 
he said, listen, you know, Tyra is sweet. Okay. Tyra is sweet. If you don't taste the sweetness of Tyra, it could be that you have a cankasaur. You should go get checked out. Right. If somebody comes from a home where marriages are not strong, when somebody comes from a home where they saw dysfunction, they saw arguments, they, they didn't experience the healthiest thing. It is common for people to say, you know, and it's understandable for people to say, where am I, what am I rushing into? <laughs> like right now, my life is good. I'm on my own. I'm living in my own planet and it's good. I want to go to Grand Canyon tomorrow. I'm going to Grand Canyon. I should marry somebody else just to argue with that person, to fight with that person. Like what exactly am I jumping into? It's understandable. But the truth is, is that of everything in creation, that reality is the only thing that's light life. The only thing that is not good is, is, is that concept of not being married, which means that marriage is awesome. And marriage is essential to our being in the sense that a person naturally wants to get married to start a family. A person naturally wants to get married for companionship, to have somebody that cares about them. That's the nature of a person. When a person doesn't have that emotional drive, it's usually because they, they don't look at marriage that way. They look at marriage as being dysfunction or they look at marriage as being some sort of trauma or arguments or whatever it is. So why are they running towards something? So the answer is, is that they have to first ch- like check their compass. Which way is north? North is, is that marriage is awesome. Marriage is great. Marriage is amazing. Oh, but the people around you don't have such great marriages because your friend just got divorced or your parents got divorced. That is true. It is true. Unfortunately, the people around you did not have the greatest experience in this thing. However, if that person has the fortitude to A, get role models, and when I say role models, it doesn't have to be the greatest role models in the world. Get a couple that you know has a good marriage and invite yourself over there for Shabbos once every three, four, five weeks. Not in a nagging way, like I need to live in your house. Like, I just want to come over just to just to sit in your house because what what we oftentimes, you know, I teach a lot of chasanim. My wife teaches a lot of kalas. You can't teach a person what it means to give your kid a kiss on Friday night when you give them a bracha. You can't teach that. You have to experience that. You have to see that. You have to see a father looking at his, at, at, at his, at his children. You have to see a husband looking at his wife. You have to see what it looks like when the husband says it, Vartaira, and the wife looks over at her husband with these eyes that she's like, wow. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy to be married to you. She doesn't say one word, but you experience that moment in time. That now in your brain calculates as that is marriage. So a person can't be taught that on a seminar. I mean, you could talk about it, but the experience that that, that is has to be really experienced. The person has to live that and, and like be exposed to that. So what I would say is, is that somebody who has those feelings stop for a minute, recognize where it's coming from. It's coming from the fact that your parents or your sister or your friend or whoever got divorced. Fine. They had a bad experience. Now, no two relationships are the same. So the chances of that happening to you are not necessarily very high. Get yourself somebody who you're able to actually experience the beauty of marriage. We have more resources today than we ever had. So you have Rabbi Schaefer and Rabbi Schaefer's books, and you have another 50 other seminars and webinars and, and in-person you know, events that you could attend, which will give you the education as to how to have a great and happy marriage. And if you're able to do that, and you make that part of your history, meaning your outlook on marriage as being negative, if you make that part history, if that is no longer how you're feeling towards marriage, 
then usually that's a good sign. That means that you're, you've done the work that got you over that hump and now you're looking forward to marriage. When people come into marriage expecting doomsday, they most probably will get doomsday. If you come into marriage expecting, you know, you have a vision for what it is because you, you, know, you know what marriage is. Marriage means that I respect my spouse and I've dated this guy and I actually respect him and I look at him with a certain, certain like admiration and that's there. That will carry through to your marriage. But if you walk in and you say, I don't know, there's a chance that will develop, but I also think it's going to develop to be terrible because that's how I experience at home. You're probably going to experience the negative side of things. So a person should make their history history. They should expose themselves to either good seminars, books, or really information. But more importantly, I would suggest somebody actually goes to somebody's house on a fairly consistent basis. And it could be a few different people where you are exposed to what it means to, to actually have a good, strong, healthy marriage. And that will teach you what it means to like actually like experience it. Sounds like a, a lot of work. A lot of work goes into this. And it, uh, many people have a question that, you know, even the whole dating and going out six, seven times or even 12 times, it's, it's all a game. And everybody's trying to be their best. And they're worried that, you know, there's something that they don't see. So here's, here's an interesting question that somebody sent in. I often think... What if the person is not who, seem, who they seem to be? What if they, see, they seem to be nice, but they really are not? I guess it's because I know some people like that yeah. who appear one way, but aren't who they seem once you get to know them. Yeah. So as a result, they did that very cautiously. And um, I know most people are inherently good, but how do I ensure I don't end up with one of those who aren't? Yeah. So I want to just say something that you, 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 in a, you, not inadvertently, but you threw out there. You said it takes time. You know what? When, when I sit with a chassan who is 25 years old, that guy had 25 years of exposure to something, right? So how is it possible in, 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 in eight sessions to rework 25 years? It's impossible, right? The, 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 the outlook that this person has on marriage, on relationships, that's, that's golden, right? That's, that's going to like be so ingrained in who they are. So to redo that's going to be really challenging. So you're right, it takes work, but I would so much rather guide somebody to take a year of spending 50 Shabbosim by healthy homes and learning what it means to actually have, then, then to not do that, get themselves into a toxic relationship and then spend 20 years in therapy trying to undo, you know, this union that was like pieced together, you know, with duct tape, like, because you're just trying to make it work, but like everything here is unhealthy. So yeah, I think it, it does take time, but the time that's invested before is, 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 is worthwhile. Now to go to your other question, which is this idea of somebody going out and saying, well, how do I know? Maybe this guy's just on his best behavior and really underneath he's a creep or he's somebody who has, you know, issues. I would say that there's two things. Number one, is, I would say three things. Number one is if somebody thinks that they see something, say something. You know, that's, I think, the New York City subway uh, slogan, right? If you see something, say something. So if there's something that seems off to you, if there's something that you're not sure about, if there's something that seems to be like a flag, say something. Turn to your mother, to your cousin, to your guy, to whoever, and say to them, let me ask you this question. Does this seem normal to you? Or, you know, I'm on my seventh eighth date. I, I want to pay a visit to my Rav, to my sister, whatever, just to like have that like interaction to see if they pick up on something. So that's number one. 
Number two is take your time. If you're nervous, so take your time. There's no rules about you have to get engaged on your third or your fifth or your 10th date. You know, sometimes people turn to me and they say, I have this and this issue that came up. I'm on my 10th date already, my 15th date. Okay, good. So you're on your 15th date, but you're not ready to get married because you have to work through this issue either in your mind or in his mind or between the couple. And number three is research cannot be over, you know, overstated. A person will find out so much more in the research stage than they will anywhere else. And when I say research, I don't mean, you know, you call a friend and you say, hi, how are you? Are you good friends with this guy? Yeah. You know him well? Yeah. You ever saw him get angry? You know, is there any reason for this guy to, to, to need to go to therapy for something? If this guy was read to your sister, would you, would you, you know, have any issues or anything like that? You know, asking direct questions in the research stage, you could do. You cannot do that on a date, right? But in the research stage, you could ask a question like that. You know, are there any concerns that you may have about this guy? You know, or I heard this and this from a friend. Can you shed some light on that? Again, the person may say to you, I have to ask a Rav. I have to think about it. I have to come back to you. Fine. But, but as they say in Yiddish, now we're talking, right? Now you're talking. Fine. I, I found out that there's something here that I need to find out about. In, in the majority of cases, in my experience, where there were issues after they got married, there was something that was known or knowable before they got married. Meaning to say that there were things that were presenting, there were issues that were on the table, they oftentimes knew about it or didn't want to address it head on or whatever the case may be. And chaval, I'm saying like, if you knew that this was here, why didn't you deal with it? Of course, everything is minashamayim. And there's a bus call that came out and they got married, of course. But the bottom line is, is that this relationship really had a flaw from the beginning, which could have been there. And it was known. And the couples, what, why, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you do something about it? How often do you hear after somebody got divorced, somebody says like, oh, I knew right away, or I knew from the beginning, or I knew this guy had an issue 10 years ago. So then, okay, so w- what was going on over there? You know, I, I, I believe, and I'm going to say something here that might shock you a little bit. I think probably over 50% of first dates probably should not happen. Might sound like a high number. In my opinion, that's how it is. A lot of people, he's a nice guy. Yeah, nice guy, nice girl. Okay, let's go out. Did you even hear if it's a shidduch? Did you hear, did you hear, hear somebody who you asked about the, the research? Did, did they say to you, tell me about your daughter or tell me about you? And then they go, oh, wow, this sounds like a great shidduch for you. Most of the time, people don't even, they don't hear that before they go out. They just hear, he's a nice guy. Like, this is how a lot of people do research. Like, oh, hi, you're a good friend of his? Yeah. Oh, he's a nice guy? Yeah, he's a nice guy. Okay, good. Anything I need to know? No. Oh, great. Okay, so you guys were in yeshiva together, yeah? Yeah, we were in yeshiva together. He's a good learner, right? Yeah, he's a good learner. He davens? Yeah, yeah, he's a dominer. Okay, thank you so much for your time. That's not, that's not research. What is, what is that? You could hear that about 100 guys in the base medrash, right? When you delve deep into it and you say, what makes him different than his chavrusa? Tell me about his personality. My daughter is like this. She needs this kind of guy. Is this the kind of guy that's like that? Give them an opening to tell you why this should should not go through. Give them an opening to say, yeah, wow, I, this does not sound like a should for your daughter because your daughter sounds like, you know, very girl, very, you know, on time and everything. And this guy, Chaim, he's, he's not like that. Give them that opening to say that, you know, tell them my husband is the kind of guy gets up four o'clock in the morning and he learns all day and then he gives a share and then he runs a multi-million dollar real estate empire and then he comes home and he spends time with the family and then he goes to sleep and he's just the most successful. Is, is his family like that? No. Okay. Could you tell me how they're different than that? 
You know, in my home, the husband and wife always go on dates and they go on walks and they love each other and they're very caring and nobody raises their voices. Is his home like that? No. Okay. Uh, well, what makes it different than that? Prod to get information during the research stage and you will be pleasantly surprised how much people talk. The reason why a lot of people don't talk is because they, they don't feel inclined to share the person's deepest, darkest side of things. So they just don't say anything. And I'm not saying, obviously, there's Hokus Lashon Hara. And obviously, everything has to be vetted how to say it and what to say. But the point is, is that research is research is research. And we have the ability to do this. I don't know why people jump over this stage so fast. And they're just saying yes to Shaduchim that really, from the get-go, many times shouldn't even be a Shaduch. Okay, Rabbi Epson, let's jump into this one. A little bit for the people that are, let's say, older singles are just going out for a while. How do I know if I'm still single because that's what Hashem wants or it's me? Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Is it just an assign or it's more in my control? It's one part of the question. Second question, dating, Shabbosim, do I push myself to go if I don't feel comfortable meeting people in groups or the speed dating or is this the new norm? What, what is needed for me to do as far as a Shabbos? Yeah. So probably the hardest question, you know, is, is knowing you know, upstairs in Shemayim, what's going on over there, right? So we could only, we could only talk from our side of things. So in, in, as a general rule in life, I like to say that the balance between Heshtavos and Emuna and Bitachan is a pedal to the metal approach, and then you ease off. Meaning you do everything you need to do in business, right? You do everything you need to do, and then now it's up to Hashem, right? So when it comes to Shadokim, there are those who say, shame certain people, that there's no amuna. I'm sorry, there's only amuna. there's no hishtadlas, everything is only, you know, you leave it up to Hashem. And I've heard that. I've also heard other people say that. No, that's absolutely, you know, false. That you have to do the same way you do hishtadlas in every other area of your life. A person has to do hishtadlas in, in Shadduchim the same way you do it in everything else. So I'm going to go with that approach for right now because I'm not Reb Chaim And I believe that a person needs to put themselves in a position to do whatever it is that you can do. But once you do that, you ease off and now you trust. I did everything that I need to do. That being said, I I don't think that people need to run themselves ragged to the point where every Shabbos, they're running to singles this and and, and they're, you know, like they, they feel like they're pulled apart. I don't think that people should be fretting, oh my gosh, I missed my zivug because I didn't whatever. But I do think that people need to be real with themselves. And if there's a havamina, that there's something that a person can be doing that maybe they're not doing, then maybe they need to explore what it is that they need to do. I've sat with many people in their high 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, and in their 50s, who they felt, you know what, like maybe there's a reason why I haven't yet found my zivug that is in my realm. And I always say, I'm Ruven Epstein. I'm, I'm not the Eberster. I can't answer for what's going on upstairs in Shemai. But let's talk about you here today and see if there's anything that needs to be done slightly different. You know, I had a couple once that was in their upper 40s that was dating. And simply because of their age, they were put together. And simply because of their age, they were moving forward with the wedding. And in my opinion, this was not a good idea. But people were pushing back and saying, what do you mean? But they're ready, this and this age, this, this has to happen. They have to do the work that makes them ready to be a husband and ready to be what you have to be fit for the job. 
Like every other job, you need the qualifications. You need to be emotionally balanced. You have to be ready, like we said four hours ago, ready to give to somebody else. And you have to be ready to be a player in this game called life. You need to be emotionally regulated and all the other things that go into this. Just because of a certain age doesn't mean that a person's gotten there for good and for bad. So you could have a couple that's 50 and they're not there. And you could have a person who's 19 who is there and vice versa. So my answer is that a person should do everything that they can within their realm of, let's call it hishtablas. But if they feel that there's something more that they could be doing, so then it's a good question that they should ask either their parents or their rav or somebody for guidance to find out, like, do you think I should attend the Shabbaton? It's halfway across the state. Should I drive there for the Shabbos, even though I went to six other ones in the last six weeks? Is this part of my hishtablas or should I just, you know, no. That's a good question. But a person generally, pedal to the metal, and ease off. That is generally the aside that will get a person through it. And easing off means that you, you recognize that Hashem does run the world and that you're doing your part. And ultimately, the shidduch, Amir Tashem, for you is waiting for you just around the corner. That's how a person should view this, this sugya, in my, in my opinion. Right. Very nice. Here's an interesting question. I just got married and I'm having conflict with my wife and my mother. Um, a few issues. For example, my mother wants us to come for Shabbos every other week. My wife prefers to stay home. Doesn't feel so comfortable around my mother. How, as a newly married husband, do I deal with this? This guy's stuck between like a rock and a hard place. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, all right. How does this guy um, balance his mother's, let's call it demands, um, or needs, but it sounds more like demands, um, and his wife's, let's call it insecurities and needs. So the short answer is, is that most healthy parents want their children to be healthy. Um, at the same time, when you look at a marriage in the context of age, so take a 25-year-old guy who gets married to a 20-year-old girl. How old is their marriage? So the answer is it's not, 40, it's not 45 years. You don't get to add their age together and say, oh, we have 45 years of experience. No. You got married yesterday. Your marriage is a one-day-old baby. That's it. And what tends to happen with a lot of couples is that parents who are healthy, they want what's best for their children. So when they look at their children who are a one-day-old baby, they want to be there for that one-day-old baby, right? And they say, oh, you want to come for Shabbos? We want to have you. Where are you going? Did you pack a toothbrush, right? All of a sudden, they're asking you questions and you're like, what in the world is going on here? I'm 25 years old. I just lived in Israel for five years on my own, right? I, I hiked up and down the country. I, I, I uh, hitchhiked everywhere. You know, like, I'm like the most independent son you ever raised. And now you're asking me if I packed a toothbrush and if I'm eating whole wheat bread for Shabbos, like what in the world is going on here? The answer is because your relationship with your new spouse is a baby. And babies need to be tended to. The smartest thing a guy like this can do is sit down with his mother and give her a tremendous amount of respect and tell her how amazing she is and go there as often as he possibly can without stepping on any toes. And he should get his wife on board with his mother's needs initially and give her a lot of cover. And then he should sit down with her and say, mommy, you raised such a rock star son. And I have such a rock star wife and you have such a rock star daughter-in-law that the best thing that we can think to give you is nachas. And the way that we want to do that is we want to have a few Shabbosim where we're alone so we could really build a strong home. And in the long run, you are going to get so much nachas out of the fact that we are building our own home by ourselves. If 
it's given over in a smart way, it usually will not become a conflict. If the mother really is healthy and she receives her needs, meaning she doesn't feel like she's neglected and just been used throughout the whole, you know, uh, parsha of, of the simcha and everything. So if you're able to, it's a, it's a balance and it's a tightrope. And there's two sides here that have to be like taken into consideration. But if a guy is smart, he's going to take bias. He's going to take responsibility for what's going on over here. And it's, it's going to be something that they're able to navigate very nicely. I've been down this road with a number of couples in obviously every circumstance is different. But when you recognize what each person is really saying, you're usually able to navigate it correctly. And I just want to touch on one point before we go to the next question, which is when it comes to relationships, Menachem, I'm sure you know this. I'm sure a lot of people know this, but I, I like to think about this all the time. Relationships don't really speak English. Relationships communicate emotions and words. That's what they do, right? So when your wife says to you, where were you? She could not care less where you were, right? She's trying to tell you, you were not here. And I expected you here. And I feel this, right? They're communicating an emotion in words, right? So when a mother is saying, well, we're going to be for Shabbos, she really doesn't care where you're going to be for Shabbos. She's telling you, I feel a little bit neglected. I feel like you don't care about me anymore. I feel like this, this wife of yours took over a certain role that I had in your life. And if you're a smart guy, you'll know what to give me, your mother. And this way, I'll get my needs met. And you'll get your needs met and she'll get her needs met. It's, it's just about reading the emotions that's being communicated. And you'll oftentimes come out, you know, ahead rather than trying to just fight. Oh, my, you don't understand what's going on. And, you know, screaming at your wife and your mother is just a recipe for disaster. You know, you got to know how to do that smart. Hey, Rabbi Epstein, I'm going to ask you two last questions. The last question is going to catapult the next week's conversation. But we'll do one more. And I just want to say we barely touched marriage. I'm letting you know. So... We just basically, we, we, we covered most of dating, but marriage, we have so much more to do. All so right. You need to come back. Just letting you know. All right, I'm here. Okay. Let's, let's do in the marriage. Um, I feel like I'm in a dead-end marriage. I feel safe in my marriage. There's no from any physical abuse. But honestly, the only reason I'm in the marriage is for young children. There is no connection, no love, no respect. Is it right thing to stay in a marriage that's not a real marriage just for the children? Some people feel the right thing is to get more so the kids will be happier with, with the parents being happy. What's, what's the yeah. question? All right. So, okay. This is a tough question in the sense, not, I don't want to say not because it's not a hard question. It's a hard question because the, the harsh reality of some people that they have to make this decision is, is, is very, very hard. The question is somebody's in a marriage where the marriage itself is not, not that great. And to be honest, they're not necessarily, you know, thrilled about staying around here. But the reason why they're staying here is because they have children, they have a family, and they're not willing to break apart the family. So I'm going to share with you a couple, a couple of thoughts over here, which I think are just very important. Number one is the two things that I look for based on my guidance that I've received over the years from certain people, which I trust and you know, very, very, it, this has guided me very well, um, is that you're, I'm looking for two things. One is severity of whatever's going on, severity. And number two is a willingness to change. So if there's something which is going on in two different homes, it could be the same exact thing. Oftentimes one home, it's like, forget it. The marriage is over. And in another home, it's, it's fine. 
It's like, okay, that's what you did. All right, no problem. Let's, let's just keep going. They're fine. So severity to each person is unique. And a person has to weigh how severe is this experience to me? Meaning, can, is this intolerable? Um, or is this like, I just feel like, you know, I feel like it could be better, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel like I need to run out the door tomorrow. Okay. So that's number one, how severe is what's going on? Number two is, is there a willingness to change? Is, is the party that is the, I'm going to call it the offending party, but it's usually my experience takes two to tango. So it's usually, there's two people at, at play over here. Is there a willingness for people to make you know changes that are necessary in their lives in order to make this happen. Those are the two factors that I usually look at when a couple is talking to me about calling it quits, getting divorced, whatever the case may be. Severity and willingness to change. Okay. Those are the two things. Now, a couple like this, it sounds like she's determined that in terms of severity, this is not so severe, right? Meaning she's willing to stick it out, even though she doesn't like what's going on. She's, it's not severe enough that she needs to like leave tomorrow, right? She feels safe. She feels good. Just the marriage doesn't feel that great. I've had many people say to me, it feels like I'm being cut with the knife or it feels like I'm choking. It feels like, but the reality is, <laughs> excuse me, is that in this case, it sounds like the relationship has something there that she's not leaving tomorrow. The, the thing that I tell couples when they say to me, I'm sticking this out for the children is that obviously sometimes you need to do that, but more often than not, that is just such a wasted opportunity. Meaning, how old is the youngest kid? Kid is 10 years old. Okay, so this kid is not getting married till he's 22. All right, so you got 12 more years of sticking it out with this person, right? Okay, so let's set the stage here, okay? We got 12 years to work on this, okay? <laughs> because we both know what's going to happen the minute Sheva Brachas is finished with this youngest kid. You're going to get divorced, right? Okay, so can we, we now have 12 years to work on this marriage, okay? And the only thing that's going to go wrong is that you're going to terminate the marriage, which you want to terminate anyways, a little bit earlier. So it's like doing CPR on somebody, right? You can't go wrong. Whatever you're going to do is going to work, right? Because you, you just stamp on the guy's chest, you're, you're getting compressions going. Whatever you're going to do here is going to work. So when I, when I hear people say to me, I'm doing this for my kids, I oftentimes tell them, let's first get you out of reverse and into neutral. So let's take the toxicity out of the relationship. Let's take the fights out. Let's take all that stuff out of there. And let's first create a functioning home, okay? Then from there, don't just do this for your kids. Do this for yourself. Because what, you're 40 years old. You have another 12 years to go over here. You're going to be 52 when you get divorced. How about if you actually did this for your spouse? And I'm, I don't want to say I'm surprised or I'm shocked. I'm not because I'm just, I'm just impressed by people who are actually able to like factory reset their marriages. Sometimes you have to like turn off your phone and turn it back on. And sometimes you have to like factory reset your phone. Some people, when they realize what, when you put it into context, so what you're telling me is you're going to get divorced in 12 years. You're just going to fight for 12 years, right? Okay, we'll try to create an environment that we're not fighting. Okay, great. So that's good. Now, can we try to put elements in over here that will actually work? You know, I'm going to share with you something which I think is just very interesting. In most mental health, or addiction components when it comes to whether it's a therapist or, or a coach or anything, if you remove whatever it is that's the toxic part of it, let's say somebody's addicted to cocaine, right? You take out the cocaine, obviously there's an underlying issue. But if you take out the issue that's causing that person to run to this cocaine, the person's healthy, right? Low self-esteem, right? Take out whatever's causing that. 
in most areas, you take out the negative, you end up with a positive. When it comes to chinuch, raising our children, and when it comes to shalom bias, it's not like that. You actually have to put things in. Relationships that are distant are stale. It's like stale bread. In order for this couple to like experience a marriage, what I would say is they should sit down with somebody and say, listen, we're in a really, really bad place, but we both have a willingness to contribute to this relationship growing. And we have 12 years to work on it. So take your time. But now let's slowly put in the pieces that on a day-by-day basis, we can start to give to the other person, understand what the person needs from us, change our own stubbornness, work on the things that we have, our own shortcomings, our own contributions to this relationship failing or being stale. Like be honest with yourself, be vulnerable with somebody who's able to give you that guidance and you'll see tremendous things, like, like wonderful things start to blossom between you. Because most people who are married, they liked each other at one point. They dated at one point. They, 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 I'm going to use the word fell in love with each other. They, love, they liked things about the other person. They liked their personalities. There's so many things that were drawing them towards this person. All of a sudden, yesterday, everything went south. No. More often than not, there was a time. It's like two pieces of paper that are two separate pieces. You slowly stitch it together, stitch it together, stitch it together. You end up with one beautiful seam. It's a beautiful, like... It, it's, it's, it's a cloth that comes together. Usually when there's that disconnect, it's, it's, we're living two lives. So I feel here and he feels here. So we're two people that are separate from each other. So if you're feeling separate, so you're feeling separate. Let's start stitching again. Let's, let's take out that sewing machine and let's start. Let's start dating. Let's start being open with each other. When you take out that, that mindset, it, it, you're able to build really beautiful and wonderful things. Don't do it just for your children. Once you're doing it for your children anyways, do it for yourself. You'll usually find that you're, you're able to really build something very strong. Okay, Rabbi Epstein, the last question of the night. That's going to catapult to next week's conversation. You ready? I'm ready. My daughter doesn't talk to me about her dates or anything. I have a much better and deeper knowledge of marriage. I've been married for over 25 <laughs> years happily. How can I get through to my young, immature mind to guide her to marry a great guy how do i get her to talk to me so all right so this mother's complaining that her daughter is not listening to her um all right so this probably has nothing to do with shaduch and probably has to do with probably every other area of this mother-daughter relationship um where the daughter is not listening to the mother so i'll tell you a few things number one is just because somebody's older and wiser i'm sorry just because somebody's older and in, in, a, in a place of authority does not necessarily mean that they're wiser when it comes to everything in life. Age is an, is an opportunity for people to learn and to grow. I hear this from people all the time. I'm 70 years old. I've been in business for 50 years already. Great. You had 50 years to make mistakes. You had 50 years to learn from those mistakes. And you had 50 years to really mess up your life. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything because you're 70 years old. Of course, people who are older have a very good, strong opportunity to learn and to develop themselves, to become beacons of light. And that experience is irreplaceable. But for some reason, this daughter doesn't view the mother as having taken that opportunity for a positive, right? She feels that the mother has maybe some shortcomings and and she's not connecting to her daughter. Maybe the daughter feels like she's not understood enough by the mother. If the mother truly, truly, truly wants what is best for her daughter, she would take a huge step back and then she would take another huge step back 
And then she would find somebody who her daughter can trust and who can open up with and say to that person, listen, I feel like my daughter could use some guidance. How much can I pay you for your time to sit with my daughter? And then she would say to her daughter, listen, Shefala, I love you. You're wonderful and awesome. And I got you somebody who I, you know, I think you can talk to. Are you willing to talk to this person? I'll, I'll help you set it up or I'll make the introduction or I'll give you the money. I will support you from the side because I realize that I may not be the best resource for you. Not because the mother is not a great resource, but for this daughter, it's not. You know, we always say, and Menachem, I'm sure you see this all the time, a therapist or a coach or a Rav or anything is a Shedah. That in itself is a Shedah, right? There are people who you could sit with and you could be the wisest man since Maish Rabbeinu. It's not going to go over because you're just not talking to them. You're not talking their language. You're not connecting with them. It's just not going to go. Not all parents connect with all of their children in the same way. It takes a masterful, wonderful person who's able to like connect with all of their children and give them exactly what they need. If that relationship has not grown to the point where the daughter is trusting and listening to the mother, the mother would be very, very wise, very wise to take two, two, big, step, two big steps back to support her daughter and say to her, here you go, here's a lot of money, resources, whatever you need to get you the help because ultimately, I'm going to say something here that's going to shock you, the daughter is the one that's walking down the aisle. And what's really important is that everybody doesn't lose focus and doesn't get caught up like we had before the question on emotions. You don't get caught up with your emotions as to, oh, but she made me feel like this or I'm the mother and therefore don't stand on ceremony. Make sure that your daughter has everything at her disposal, all skill sets that she needs, all opportunity for her to build an amazing marriage because ultimately this journey, which is just beginning, needs all the support that it possibly could get. Beautiful. Okay, let's go to closing. Okay, here we go. First of all, Akshay for coming on tonight. And again, it's tremendous physics for all the people watching. A lot of people, I got tons of emails over here. Besides the free books, <laughs> I got tons of emails of people that are saying it's unbelievable here. Everyone, we definitely have to come back again. We definitely have to shoot over much more deeper. So much more to go. See, we should do dating and marriage separate. No. <laughs> Okay, again, tonight's share, I was saying Rabbi Schaefer is also, you know, giving out the books for the people to ask questions. He's giving a three, three-part three seminary. Um, it's for marriage. I, I'm assuming anybody, and I asked Rabbi Epstein before the share, if you should do dating or marriage or marriage and marriage. Bottom line, dating and marriage is one, it's one parsha. It's not, it's not two parshas. So that's why it's important to understand that. So if you're dating, marriage is negated to dating also, right? Yeah, I think, I think it goes hand in hand, 100%. I mean, you can't be dating for marriage. You don't know what marriage is. And your marriage, and then your daughter enters Shaduchim, it's all, it's all one and the same. Correct. You're right. You're preparing yourself for something, and then you're in that something. I believe they go hand in hand. So, again, so anyway, I was going to read this thing that Rabbi Schaefer wrote over here uh, 10 really dumb mistakes that couples make. He wrote that book, presenting a three part marriage seminar over the past 15 years. He's dealt with hundreds of couples, and um, he helped them many times. Rabbi Schaefer is, you know, very, very well known and uh, great speaker. He was on our share a few times. and at, I'm telling everybody to please join this, this seminar. It's free. It's going to be on TorahAnytime.com. Uh, it's going to start. It's going to be three parts, June 29th at 8.30, July 6th, and July 13th, all at 8.30. Please join Rabbi Schaefer's share on marriage. Definitely, he's not charging for it. And he says he guarantees that it will improve your marriage. And you can go to the schmooze, S-H-M-U-Z.com for any more information. Um, and again, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp chat, so every Sunday I could send you the, it's not a chat, it's uh, every Sunday I could send you the flyers. Please text me at 848-525-0066, 848-525-0066. 
go to menachembarenfeld.com if you want to sign up for some emails. <laughs> And you get the emails of the shirim coming up and the replays and Allah get the zakhir. And again, if anybody's here the first time at 9.30 p.m. every Sunday night, we have unbelievable shir. Next Sunday, so we're going to catapult to the last question. Next Sunday shir with Reverend Shays Taub. It's going to be a shir. It's called A Cure for Toxic Parenting. Understanding the differences between kibadava aim and parental entitlement and how to stop <laughs> the cycle. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> Okay, it should be an amazing program. I think everybody should come, the parents, the children, and let's, I like, like he ends it, he says, how to stop the cycle, let's stop the cycle. Even some of the questions tonight, how many questions you asked tonight, you know, that, 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 that's negated to, right? Yeah. It's getting involved, not getting involved, come for Shabbos, don't come for Shabbos, right? So 100%. Definitely, it's a, definitely a powerful topic. And uh, I never heard of parental, parental entitlement, that's a new yeah, one. I'm entitled, I'm, I'm a chavinda mama, you know what I mean? <laughs> I never heard that term, but it's a great term. It's a great term, yeah, right? Um, yes, again, somebody texted it's the same Zoom links every Sunday night. This, this, this place again, everything is recorded. Menachem will be on menachemburnful.com. If anybody has any questions, please email coachmenachemadjuma.com. Tonight's share shares 106. And if you want to hear it on the phone line, it'll be uh, on our phone line tomorrow at 848 777 GROW. That's 777 G R O W. If anybody would like to be in contact with Rabbi Ruben Epstein for any reason, speaking, speaking to him. Or anything, please email him. Everybody should know Rabbi, Rabbi Epstein and his wife do meet with people and shaduchim and dating and everything. And uh, my wife spoke to his wife before the share. She's also very highly recommended. So anybody can reach out to them at their emails R E U Epstein, E P S T I N at gmail.com. Again, that's R E U, like I guess half of Ruben, right? Like Ruben, yeah, yeah. Ruben Epstein to Gmail was taken. Or wow. you could do email or email. My name email is Ruben, but it's not Epstein, so okay, I couldn't do it. <laughs> or you or email, email at marriagepro.co. Email right. at marriagepro.co. That one works also. The, you can go to the website, is marriagepro.co, and um, you know, see what the courses and different things that they have. Again, Epstein comes very highly recommended from a lot of people that have uh, dealt with you, so I'm just letting you know. Um, again, I want to thank you to all the advertising sponsors of Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yaniv Chazak, Elian Ariel from Five Town Central, and Chayla Kalfman and Shmuel Summer from JCN. And we're going to go to closing. Coach Menachem first, followed by Rabbi Ruben. Rabbi Ruben, before you go, Chizik, Dvartaira, we need something stark. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's right. Okay, Coach Menachem. Uh, yeah, Rabbi Epson, it was already stark. Chizik, we got it all tonight. We were able to cover a lot. And uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's a journey. It's yes, it is work, but um, I think the st- statistics are seven percent is verbal. You convey a message; it's only seven percent. And imagine what's the other ninety-three percent. All of that is the you know is the emotion, body language, tone. There's so much that goes in there, and ultimately we learn a lot about ourselves, and um, that's part of the marriage, and that's why we're here to learn a lot and to learn things that we might not have learned in yeshiva all the years. And here we are getting ready for dating, for marriage. So get the help that you need. Always go to speak to someone that can help you because the person himself, all he sees is what he's used to the past many years. But to learn others, you know, sit with somebody else who can ask you the questions that you need and to get you to think and to be able to connect to others. So, Mitzvah Shem, we should all have siyata d'shmaya, whatever we need, the shaduchim, and in marriage, that we should be able to go to the next step, where we need to go, so that we can fulfill our mission in our life, where we are now. Thank you. Ruben. Awesome. Close it up. All right. So, here's, here's just some final thoughts. And, 
you know, I, I'm gonna, I want to read to you just uh, one line from the Sefer called Chayvas HaTalmidim, which is one of the most powerful books that anybody can ever read. Um, it was written before World War II, but it's a, almost like a prophetic book in how it presents the concept of, of raising children. But I'm going to expound on that concept into also just raising ourselves, you know, being, you know, more balanced people, knowing what to look for in a shidduch, knowing how to build a marriage. I want to read to you one, one line over here, which I think is really the key to everything. It says that the word chinuch is lashen, v'hu lashen haschalas knisas ha'adam oikli le'umnas shuhu asid lamoid ba. The word chinuch is like an inauguration of something that is the beginning of what it ultimately can become. And the idea of somebody raising children, raising spouses, you know, now they joke, it's like, I have to raise, you know, people say, I have to raise my parents. You know, it's, it's hard bringing up parents today, right? You talk about that next week with Rabbi Shay's Taub. The idea of being in a relationship with somebody else, ultimately, if you think about it, is the concept of bringing out from the person who they can become. When we go into dating for marriage or go into marriage, I think that most people wing it. They go into it and they just hope for the best. And they say, you know what? Everything's going to be great because we got good midos and we got communication and we got the best seminary and the best yeshiva, so everything's going to be great. But like you said before, it's just the beginning of the beginning of the journey. What is the journey? The journey is kesher. And if you think about what kesher means, it means to connect to the other person's innate potential and to spend a lifetime of bringing that potential forward. If you look at the end of 50, 70, 100 years and you see that your spouse is a success, it should be because you, you spent the time to, to recognize, wow, my wife could be an amazing kala teacher. Let me encourage her to take this course, to take on a kala. Let me tell her how great she is. Let me boost up her confidence because I know that it's lacking a little bit. She doesn't think she could do it because she's only 22 years old. And then over the years, when your wife becomes successful, it's due to you. Chenach, marriage, shalom bias is really all one and the same. It's the idea that when we daven, we connect to the words that we're saying. It's when we're dealing with our children, we see future potential and we're able to bring that forth. And, and then we do that. But there's, there's a pasach, which means that you connect with each person or each child according to who they are. But the end of that pasach says, when they get older, when they're, when they're in their old age, it doesn't leave them. And what that means is when you're raising your children, you can, you can get your child to daven tomorrow by screaming at your kid, by yelling at them, by smacking them, by being a bigger bully than they've ever seen bully. And that kid will sit in shul in fear and he will look inside. But when that kid is 90 years old and he doesn't daven because to him, shul is a trauma, you didn't, you, you were not you didn't, you didn't bring out from your kid who he could become. Giving things over in a way where it's received by the other person is inherent in what it means to raise children. And I'm going to ex- expand that to the same thing when it comes to relationships. Most people, they think that the way to change their spouse is by yelling, screaming, silent treatment, getting angry, 
pouting, walking around the house and slamming doors and kitchens, not making food or making whatever. And they think that that is how they get their needs met. Because when we're children, we're taught that that works. When we're kids, that's how we train ourselves or our parents train us. Oh, oh, the kid doesn't stop screaming. Okay, fine. Here, take the candy already. In a relationship where there's two adults in a room, that's not how, how anything gets accomplished in a way that leaves a person with shlemos. We talk about the concept of shalom bias. Shalom bias doesn't mean like harmony in the home. Of course, that's how it's interpreted. interpreted. But the word shalom is, 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 is shlemos. You feel wholesome. One of the beauties of Taira and Yiddishkeit, the most, is that it's so sweet and it's so beautiful. It just makes perfect sense. That to me is just, what is, when you hear a shear and somebody says to you, go ahead and smack your kid and your kid is going to listen to you. It just doesn't, it just doesn't compute in your brain. You know that there's something wrong over there. When somebody teaches you how to channel out the inner goodness from your child, you sit back and you go, wow, that makes perfectly logical sense because it's sweet and it's beautiful and the Torah is sweet and beautiful. All the ideas that we're sharing over here today, tonight, they're not my ideas. These are ideas that are gleaned from years and years of sitting by very, very big people who are experts in their various fields and being able to give over, let's call it Tyra. Menachem, you do the same thing on, on, a, on a weekly basis and with all the people that you sit with. When a person stops and recognizes that if I want my spouse and me to be 99 years old or 119 years old, however, wherever your aspirations are, and we're going to be sitting in the nursing home, holding hands together, eating our, our applesauce, right? Without our teeth. And we're going to be looking at each other. And we're going to be saying to each other, wow, we made it. What elements need to be there for you to make it? The answer is you have to be calm and you have to know how to channel all of your God-given talents and your emotions, which can run away with you. And you have to know how to connect to the other person in a soft, sweet, and beautiful way. And if you do that, then gam ki yaskin mimenu. When you get older, your spouse will not leave you. mimenu. They won't disconnect from you. The kesher will be there even when you're 119 years old. You'll be sitting there eating your applesauce and you'll be like, how's the sauce today? Good, good, you know? Because you've lived your entire life by stitching the fabric day after day after day, as opposed to allowing wedges, which come about through distraction, which come about through ideas of what marriage is. It's about jewelry and vacations. No, it's not. It's about two people who on a consistent basis are dialed into each other. And if a couple does this, it won't leave you. Your spouse won't leave you. They can't leave you. You're so enmeshed with them because you became one unit. That is what marriage is. And if a person does that, Every single day puts into what the relationship could be. And if you date and you're the person you're dating, you're able to lay out for them a clear path. This is the type of marriage I want to have. You have a really good chance of having an incredible, incredible relationship. The person doesn't, then they start creating reasons why things are not good. They start creating values that are being trampled on. Our emotions runs away with us. The minute we start talking to our spouse in that emotional way, they feel like they're under attack that's when it's game over. If a person is able to channel their emotion to connect to the other person in a real, real way and to bring out the best in their relationship, there's nothing sweeter than that. Repstein, Meredith. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight. Unbelievable share. See everybody next Sunday night, same time, same place.
Rabbi Epstein, you rock. Take care. Good night. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.